All right. Apparently, we're live on YouTube. What's up, YouTube? What's up, everybody listening to us uh, around the world? We're glad that you're here. I know a lot of you guys have been waiting for the second half of uh, this Cocodana 250-mile race that we did a couple of weeks ago. It was 250 miles point to point across the state of Arizona. It really ate my daggone lunch. If you haven't seen some of the videos I've posted on Instagram, uh, then maybe you don't understand how bad a shape I got in. But we're going we're gonna to get to that on this episode because the last one that we did last week, um, things had been going fairly good uh, up until the point now that we're going to take you down into the depths of despair <laughs> and tell you how we got through it. I remember Chili telling me at one point that we're going to debrief on this portion of the race. Chili said, yeah. You've been going on sheer tyranny of will for a long time now. <laughs> you remember when you told me that? Yeah, well, it was true. Yeah. Um, hold on, i got to turn this mic up a little bit. But anyways, before we get started into this conversation, you guys li- you guys listen to this real quick, all right? Don't, don't tune out right here. I'm going to tell you why our partners, uh, Barbell and Hoist, are so in so valuable to what uh to to three of seven project and and even to you guys that like to watch and listen and learn from whatever the crazy crap we decide to go and do let me tell you why our partners like barbell and hoist are so impo- important so as you guys listen to this recap of this race this is all good but because of barbell and hoist we actually have captured this entire event into a a full feature film okay a full documentary that you guys are going to be able to see uh here in a couple of weeks actually so all the stuff we're talking about here you're actually going to get to watch this film and it's going to essentially be like you guys were there with us essentially like you were crewing me through this event you're going to get to see all that uh you're going to get to see film of of me out on the trail and it's all going to be put together and edited in a um it's going to be chronicled and and i think it's going to be an awesome film now we we wouldn't have been able to do this without barbell and hoist because essentially they have paid for that for you guys they made the investment to have this film made so that you guys can experience this journey and learn from this journey, not just through listening to us here on the podcast, but you actually get to see it. All right? You'll get to see me when I was at some of my lowest, lowest moments uh, and how we reacted to that, how we worked as a team. And, you know, that that's what this is all about. All right? Um so I want to thank Barbell Apparel and Hoist for making that possible, for bringing this journey to life and hopefully bringing the the lessons and the struggle and the, the triumph and all that's wrapped up in it, bringing it to you guys, okay? So I hope you guys appreciate that when you get to see the film. I think it's going to be great. And... Um, 
If you don't know about our partners, Barbell is an apparel company that uh, they're awesome people. Uh, We tested their gear prior to ever forming a relationship with them. We had a long conversation with them. Uh, They're amazing people behind the brand, behind the apparel, and uh, their products are outstanding. We have used them now extensively. Uh, For instance, the Barbell Phantom Shorts, you'll see in the documentary, I wear a pair of the Phantom Shorts for 40, I think 43 continuous hours during this race and never had to change them. They worked great. Uh, I have had absolutely no issues with them. They were comfortable. Uh, They were functional. Everything about them was great. And as the temperatures got cooler, I transitioned into their long, uh, they call them joggers, lightweight joggers. It's a a long uh, pant running layer, which was perfect for the temperatures uh, we were moving through and the wind, and and it it kept the elements in the wind and the cold and all that off my legs and allowed me to maintain uh, my body temperature much easier than having a pair of shorts on. They also worked amazing in those cooler temperatures. Uh, every piece of gear that we've used from Barbell has has hit the spot, and it's it, it's it's really interesting testing this stuff out in these extreme environments. And uh, the owners the owners of Barbell they love the fact that we're testing the gear out in these extreme environments. Uh, as much as we love actually getting to do it and see how it performs. And they've just been wonderful partners. So uh, we just hope that you guys choose if you run, if you hike, if you do CrossFit, if you, uh, if you work out. We hope that you guys choose Barbell to, uh, to be a part of your fitness apparel. And they actually make apparel that fits all walks of life. They have jeans, they have dress shirts, and we could go on and on about every product that they make. So thing about those joggers is, yeah, I was in the shorts the whole time I was pacing you too through the hot sections and stuff, but then when you were going up to Mount Eldon, I put on a pair of those joggers too. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. And what I found really interesting about them is, you know, they kept me warm going up Eldon, but then when we came down into Flagstaff and we're running, it was getting hot, but I wasn't hot in them. Yeah, it was a great layer. I was pretty I was pretty happy with that. I mean, I love all of their stuff. Their shorts are great. The the pockets in the shorts. If you're running long like that, you've got to have pockets. I yeah, can't I learned that. I can't stand shorts with no pockets. <laughs> yeah, you got to do something with your trash, dude. Yeah, for running long like yeah. that. And so now nah, they were both gr- great. Yeah, um I was really Im- I was really impressed with those with those joggers and well, I actually The last thing I'll hit on these is when you're out and say you're going on an early morning run, it's a little bit cool outside. You know, one of your only options in the running apparel lineup is going to be tights. Everybody sells a pair of tights, right? North Face and Nike and all. These joggers, they're they're form-fitted, but they're not tight on your legs. They're actually, they're, they're comfortable, I personally think tights are pretty gay. Uh, so it was nice to have a, a full-length layer on my bottom that wasn't a dang tight. Uh, so, and they're uh, tight around your ankles to keep well, yeah, they're being baggy. They're form-fitted, yeah. yeah. 
And then obviously our other partner that that brought this documentary to life and that uh, provides awesome product for us here at 307 Project to keep us going is our hydration partner, Hoist. Again, awesome people behind the brand with an awesome mission. Uh, and Hoist, we we I had both my bottles in the front, so at least one liter, two half-liter bottles throughout the entire race with the Hoist hydration powder in them. Uh, I drank that stuff for the duration of this event. And by the way, it took us 103 total hours to finish this thing. And uh, the the Hoist was just an amazing supplement to water. It, it made me want to drink more because it actually tastes good. And when I say it tastes good, the testament to the fact that it tastes good is the fact that I drank it for uh, four and a half days straight and never got tired of drinking it. That is that is amazing. Never got tired of drinking it. It never gave me stomach issues. Uh, nothing like that. It was only beneficial. And talking about an extreme test of, of this uh, of, of hoist. And it had everything in it that we needed. It had uh, magnesium. It has sodium. has some calories in it. Uh, everything that we needed to keep us going for the duration of this event. And we just can't thank them enough for making an awesome product uh, that keeps us going. And also for, again, bringing this film to you in partnership with Barbell Apparel. So uh, check them out at drinkhoist.com and then barbellapparel.com. You guys can, uh, if you um, if you do the kind of stuff we do, I highly suggest you checking them out. So those are our partners here at 307 Project. We're highly selective about our partners, and uh, these, these two companies have just been great in supporting us in our endeavors and also bringing good content and, and allowing us to do more for you guys. And the last, the last thing I want to mention is our Patreon members that support the podcast. Uh, we have almost 500 members over there on Patreon. Patreon is not a fan club. Uh, it's, where, it's where people that want to give back uh, and make all of this possible, all this equipment, all this recording equipment, these cameras, the fact, just the fact that we can set aside time to sit down and do this. Uh, Patreon, our members over there are bringing that to you. So it's a private platform. You can download the app. Uh, you get if you you sign up for Patreon, you get access to uh, a, a private page at Three Hundred Seven Project where we put out. Uh, extra content. I have the Enough Said podcast, which is a more short form, uh, informational uh, content that I put out. It's usually 20 to 30 minutes long. Uh, do that over there. We have Resurrected, which is a live call we do with our Patreon members three Sundays a month. That's Bible-based content. We have our whole shooting series uploaded on Patreon, which is if you're interested in starting to get get into shooting and learn how to to shoot a handgun and and conduct a range, and you're 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 wondering about which gear to buy and what do you need and all that. That's all in that series on Patreon. And we just continue to to try to, to try to give back to you guys that support us in 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 a special way. So 
if you if you want to support us, if you want to support the podcast, three of seven project, and uh, and what you do uh, empowers us to do what we do. It's all a collective effort. Patreon's a great place to do that. I'll attach a link to Patreon in the description of this YouTube video or this audio podcast if you're listening to it. Again, it's super simple, and uh, it's not a fan club. It's a community that we have over there uh, where we actually get to know you guys, which is really valuable and special to us. So thank you for everyone that supports us over there on Patreon. It's really, really special, guys. All right. So we're going to carry on with the After Actions Report. We're going to take you guys on this, on, on, through this story. From We're going to pick back up uh, on the top of Mingus Mountain, which is where we left off last time. So Mingus Mountain puts us at mile 110. Uh, we're probably about midways through the second day. So we've been running for the whole first day, the first night, and we're about midways through the second day up on top of Mingus Mountain. And we're going to take you from mile 110 all the way through the finish here. And at the end of the podcast, we're going to go over some technical stuff, things that we that we are going to do different to pare this thing down and hopefully next year make this, uh, make this effort look a lot better because it got pretty ugly. And, um, and it, it's, which is amazing because it's given me a project to work on. Uh, and my goal over the next year or so is going to be working on myself and figuring things out so we can go back next year, Lord willing, and, and do very well at this thing, taking everything that we've learned. So, Mangus Mountain, Blake, you picked up as a pacer off the top of Mingus Mountain, and we get started off the, the top of this thing, and Blake doesn't know it yet, but I am in a really, really bad place mentally. I mean, I'm in a really bad place mentally. Uh, probably the, 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 mo- the biggest mental challenge that I can rem- I, I mean, definitely the biggest mental challenge I've ever faced in running. Uh, possibly one of the biggest mental battles I've ever fought doing a physical training event, period. Uh, and that's in, that's to include SEAL training and all that other stuff. So uh, take us through that section, Blake, and what you remember from it, and tell us the story about coming down off of Mingus Mountain into Jerome, which is a pretty long section, about 17 miles, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I remember starting out and, you know, I mean, I've paced you a little bit on races before, but but not anything like this. So obviously navigation was a part of this. So I was, you know, a little bit on edge about making sure everything, I had everything right. I didn't want to get you lost, setting the pace and everything. So as we stepped off, we go on the, uh, basically the fire road, right? And we essentially finished the climb up Mingus, which might've been maybe another half mile you had. And there's a beautiful view at the top. Probably, I don't, I didn't run the whole race, but the, the best view that I saw it out was. there of our aid stations that we were at. We could see from the top of Mingus, you could see all the way to the finish line. Mm-hmm. You could see all the way across Sedona, up onto the Cocodino Plateau, yep. and Eldon, and Humphreys, and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the best view on the whole course. 
Yeah, and I remember uh, I remember you looking over there at, at one point, and you said, man, there's that plateau I got to get up on. wonder how we get up there. And I thought, well. <laughs> Me and Chili found out how to get up there yeah. later on. I thought, well, that's a little bit uh that's a little bit far out there, but I'm sure I'm sure there's a trail up there somewhere. And uh I got a question I just I wanna ask you later in a minute or a little bit just about that, but about being able to see so much. But we kinda start to go down sort of real skinny single track and it becomes technical pretty quick. And uh big, you know, probably softball to even bowling ball size just rocks and things. And it switched back. I remember looking at the elevation profile, and I thought, darn, how's it going to get down this? Because it's like a sheer cliff, you know. But it ends up just switch, switch back all the way down. I, I remember telling you, it felt like a rotisserie in the sun. You would go, the sun would just be beating you in the face, and then you'd turn, and then it'd cook your back, and then you'd turn back to it. That's good. Make it even. Yeah. So uh, we kind of switched back down that, and that rolls on for a little bit. And I thought... Uh, Aren't we ever going to get to run? It's going to be a long 17 miles. You know, you would get a section that might be like a, you know, not even a tenth of a mile that is runnable. And at that point, you might as well not even run it. And uh, so, yeah, we kind of wind down through there. I remember coming up over one of those little rises and the sun was starting to set. And it's a beautiful view there on the another one on the Sedona, throwing all that red and orange light on those red rocks. And you had a uh, Humphreys peak snow capped in the background. And, uh, but you weren't saying much throughout it. And, you know, I wasn't, I was just going to let you talk. And if you talked, then I was going to talk to you and you People were at, behind us were talking plenty. Yeah. I don't <laughs> remember that guy's name, but yeah, they talked a lot. We Good finally got night. out, got out from that and had some quiet. And, uh, you was just asking about, what was going on for the aid station, what was going on back home. And uh, you kind of alluded to it a little bit as you started to talk about getting on the plateau. And, and you said a couple of times, man, I got, I got a long way to go. And I, I, I was already thinking like, oh, man, what's he talking about this for? <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? And, uh, and finally we got on that runnable section, you know. And I remember there was a couple of times you would start to – you were running, and I was like, man, we could just hike at this pace. Why even run? And so we would stop, and then we would just hike fast. And, you know, that section was pretty quiet. There wasn't really a whole lot to note. You thought uh, you thought one time you thought an owl was sitting up on a limb, and it was just a knot Oh yeah, on yeah. the limb. And we come around one turn, and there was a, a, a strange white rock right on the side of the road, and you kind of jumped, and you said, oh. Gosh, I thought that was a pit bull. <laughs> and, We're uh, in the middle of the wilderness, by the way, with nobody around. Yeah, way pit out. Bull. Yeah, and uh, but you know, to to the point of it, those things did look odd to me. Not being sleep deprived, you see those things, and they do look like something. But I, I guess your brain just much quicker realizes that they are not the things that you think they are, and you know, you formulate it. Did it look like the wrapper or the dog? Oh, like a dog. Oh, it, okay. it looked like that. Uh, when I first saw that rock, it looked like the head of a pit bull that had had its ears clipped mm. and had the pointy ears like a fighting dog, you know? I thought maybe you saw a pit bull standing there. <laughs> no. Okay. But, you know, after we get through all of that and we kind of get off of the, the technical trail, then we hit that fire road. 
that's just kind of smooth sailing for the next, maybe it was five miles or something. And I remember as soon as we got on it, I, I think your mind up to that point, you were having to stay somewhat present because all of the rocks and things. Yeah. But as soon as we hit that fire road, you said, man, I'm going to have to tell you, I'm in a bad spot right now. You said, I'm thinking, uh, here I am a hundred and you know, at that time, maybe 20, 120 miles in. And yeah. it's like, I'm not even, not even halfway there. And you said, uh, I know what I need to do, but I just got to make myself do it. And you was like, I don't like it, but deep down, I like it. And, uh, and you know, the only thing that come into my mind, you know, when, you know, when somebody is struggling or in the pain cave and they say something to you about it, you want to share something that's productive, but it just kind of, your response just has to be who you are. You can't formulate anything fake. And the only thing, I just thought, well, this is what I'm thinking. And I thought, well, a lot of times if you if you can understand where someone is, then that actually allows you to be more patient with that person when they're struggling through things. And I thought, you know, we train a lot of people. And a lot of times it's probably hard for you to understand of like this physical feat is nothing and you say you're struggling with this, you ain't struggling, just keep pushing, just keep pushing, but it's actually really hard for them. And in that, when you when you said that, I thought, well, this is good for you to be in this spot of having a hard time staying present so that now you can sort through this and you'll be able to help people much better now and, and be patient with the person that you're training much more because now you will have been in their shoes just in a different kind of scenario and I just remember that's what I told you, and uh, and you was like, well, okay, yeah, I got that, and uh, and then from there on we ran that section. I mean, I remember asking you like, hey, do you want to do a like this is all runnable all the way to Jerome? So do you want to do like a, a interval? Like do you want to run and walk because there's going to be no walking? And you said, nope, I just find my I'm just going to find my pace and we'll just run that all the way. And so that's what we did. We got, I think we were maybe like a 13 or 14, well, probably 13 or probably about 13 minute pace. Yeah. We ran uh, for those remaining probably four or five miles down into Jerome. And yeah, I mean, that, that's the, that's the gist of what I remember of it. I remember the, the pretty views. I remember you being quiet. And then that, that conversation we had there at the bottom of the mountain and, you know, there's. There's more we can talk about there, but uh, I was going to ask you about, you know, the the part of staying present. I wondered, I'm sure it played into it to some degree, but do you think being able to see so far over onto that plateau and knowing, like, I'm here and I have to go there, did, did the um, openness of the course make it harder to stay present than running? Like on the East Coast, you can't see... 100 miles to where you got to go so it's like yeah i know i got to go 100 miles but i can't see it and you don't actually comprehend how far that is so you may not even remember no anything I, about I, I think it did i think it did uh you know f kind of push me into that moment of overextending myself mentally but i think it was subconscious mm-hmm I don't think it was something that I recognized or that I, I related it to. I think it was it was a total subconscious reaction yeah. of being able to see that far. 
that's an interesting answer because of what I was going to ask. You know, when you came into Mingus, I was pretty disappointed because I was like, he's, in my opinion, I thought, okay, based on what he's saying sitting here in this, you know, aid station in the car, I'm like, he's lost focus. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, is I don't, hopefully this is just temporary, you know, maybe like when he just got in here, but the way you walked in there with James and, and then walked out, I was like, man, he has lost focus. Like he's, his brain's almost scattered. And I knew you didn't have any sleep and everything, but I was like, that's not good. But what I was going to ask, obviously, if, if you hadn't lost focus, you can correct me on that. But if you had, like I thought you had, were you aware that you had lost what I mean by that is like you were no longer thinking the same way you were up until that point. Yeah. It was just kind of zoned out and not thinking about what's it, you know, what you had to do. I, I was, I was totally aware of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That I, I was that, that whole second day to include the night. I mean the whole yeah. second 24 hour period, um, I was completely aware of the fact that I had lost focus of 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 what I needed to be doing yeah. in order to do well here and because I was aware of the fact that I lost focus that is why there was this battle in my mind because if I wouldn't have been aware of it, there would have been no there would have been no battle in my mind, right? The battle the battle was was raging over the fact that what the crap is wrong with me, man? Mm-hmm. Like this is not who I am. Like I I'm I, I'm the master of being patient. I'm the master of, of just focusing on what's in front of me. I mean, that's how I live my every day-to-day life. I never look way over there at the at the plateau, right, that I have to get to that's 200 miles or two years down the road, you know? That's, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, I know what I should be doing. I know who I am, but why the crap am I slipping? Mm-hmm. Um, because it just, it never happens to me. And the, the, I, I think ultimately what, what I remember settling on was the reason this was happening is because I finally had endeavored to do something that was, in this event that was outside the scope of my experience. Like it was outside the scope of my experience and it was long enough for that to become an issue. So like when you do your first hundred mile race, it's something that's outside the scope of your experience. You've never ran a hundred miles before, right? But it's not, it's not long enough at least for me, it wasn't long enough to become an issue because once you reach the point where you realize in a hundred mile race, where you realize, holy crap, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. The amount you have left is not enough, was not enough to overwhelm me personally. Right. But with this event, once I reached this point at a hundred and 
20 something miles where I'm like, okay, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And I've still got, I've got to go for two more nights. It, it was like, okay, okay, that's no joke. Like, I ain't even halfway done. Yeah. And it, it began to to just, just I just had to constantly combat it. Um, I, I don't think that there was a, ever a moment that, I know there was never a moment that, like, I wanted to quit. I actually was intermittently enjoying the fact that, man, this is really, really causing me to grow to a new level mentally. But I was intermittently enjoying it because when I wasn't enjoying it, I was hating it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But you can you can hate that battle and and you should be able to appreciate it kind of simultaneously yeah um so yeah i don't know if that answers your your question or not but i don't even remember what your question was if you were aware that you had lost focus yes i was aware that i had lost focus yeah and i and to be honest with you i was ashamed of myself like i i was internally and that was another thing that i was battling with i was ashamed of myself i was like what the crap dude yeah, like what's wrong with you, man? I could tell that in your uh, in your demeanor and tone when you were talking about it. We were on the road, but you know, it's like at, at that point you don't. At least I'm not going to try to boost you up and be like, "Oh, you're doing good. Just keep going, man." Yeah, you yeah, know, that wouldn't have been good for me. No, it, yeah, you just got like I was just. I thought, well, this is the truth of the matter. You got to get it done, and you know, now you're in a spot that other people are often and so that was the significance of of that to me and you know for anybody listening for any just takeaways is that a lot of times when people ask you for advice you might want to share this profound thing like you want to be like oh yeah I told that person this and it got them through the and so you're trying to formulate that but it is you just gotta like you first you gotta live you gotta have a life that you know, you live out what you share, and then you just share what comes to mind. And I don't know, I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. People always want to share these profound things, and they want to be quoted, and they want... And, and I mean, if that's your if that's your goal, if that's what you want, then you're just way off of it. But, yeah, I don't want to dig too deep into that, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately and just now, I, wanted to say... Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when you get beat down to the point that I was getting beat down... All of the all of the inspirational quotes and all of the motivational quotes and all of the hype that you realize how much bull crap all of that stuff is. And and you can literally get beat down to the point that everything just goes out the window. Yeah. Um you know it, it, and it's interesting to me also that I even chose... It, that was another thing that I was battling with, that whole section, those hours and hours that we were together, Blake, is to is should I even tell you about this? Because you guys know me. I'm all, I'm all about the spoken word and, and you know, not giving those negative thoughts that you're having a, a voice. And I, I was... 
I was torn on whether or not to even tell you what I was feeling. And ultimately, I told you what I was feeling, not to be negative, but to, to simply share with you what I was going through internally mm-hmm. and then and then to take some advice from you, not get motivation from you, yeah. but to take some advice from you. Mm-hmm. And it, there, was, there was nothing negative about it. And yeah. that's the reason I shared it with you. But, you, you know, you eventually, you can get beat down, and I did get beat down to the point on this event where, where everything, like... The, the only thing was moving forward. Like, I was beat down to the point there for a while, not right here where we're talking about, where I couldn't even, if I wanted to be negative, I couldn't work up, muster up the strength to even be negative. I just didn't have the strength to say anything. Yeah. Like, nothing. Yeah, man, that's tyranny of will. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, when you get beat down to that freaking point, all the bull crap that you and and some of the stuff ain't bull crap. Some of the motivational stuff might work. No, but you get but but nope. not when you get down right down to the roots. No, nope. it oh, don't it don't work ever either. It's a facade when it's easy that it's working. It's because really sheer tyranny of will is all that's ever propelling you forward. It's just when it's easy, it can look like you saying that quote over and over is helping you. It ain't freaking helping you, man. It's just words. It all comes down to your will to keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Ain't no motivational quote getting you to the finish no. of nothing. And and it's even like it's you know a lot of people wonder about music, listening to music while while you run and this and that. And hey, can can you can can that motivate you? Well, I I and and so there's a conversation around all of this stuff because. Chili just gave you his perspective on it. My perspective on something like music as motivation, when it's not as hard, when it's not as hard, and you're not as beat down as we're talking about getting, you can find enjoyment in music. You can find enjoyment in motivational quotes. You you find enjoyment of the in those things, right? Uh, but. But when you're down at the point where that I'm telling you I was at, I couldn't find any enjoyment in anything. It was simply moving forward. That that was it. Um. So yeah, you get you will get, and this is great. It's great to grind yourself down to that level every now and then, when it's just you. It's it's you. Maintaining that, as Chile has coined the term, tyranny of will, and there's no enjoyment in anything. That's great. <laughs> That's when you're really getting it, son. Yeah. That's when you're really getting it. Well, I didn't coin that term. That's uh, that's. I've never heard it said anywhere else. Well, I'll give credit. That's a Norm Macdonald quote. So, okay, you may not know who that is, but that's fine. He uh. Anyway, when you when you got down into Jerome with Blake, I was happy that that Blake was going with you on that section because, like I said, I mean it was plainly obvious to anybody with eyes that you weren't in a good spot. That's great that y'all could see that. 
Well, I mean, maybe some people that, I mean, I don't know, but that's pretty plain whenever you, I don't know. It's just not hard to tell, but I'm curious when you got into Jerome, because I was going to tell you that you already needed to push on and not sleep there probably, that it would probably be best to sleep at Dead Horse, but that was such a hard thing to say because you needed it so bad, but you had come in there and you and Blake had already kind of made that the plan anyway. Yeah. So yeah, by this time it's dark again. We've been going now for, uh, I think 42 or 43 continuous hours. And yeah, at some point along the way we had, we had discussed, uh, going ahead and taking, a our first, uh, sleep right there in Jerome. Yeah, I I remember, Pat, you were talking about doing that beforehand, and then we got on the trail, and we passed that that, those guys that kept talking so much, and he said, yeah, I'm I'm not going to sleep in Drome. I'm going to go through here. And then um, later on, that made me start thinking about it, so I asked you, and you was like, no, I don't want to sleep long in Jerome. I might just take a a short nap. And so I think he he did take like 20 minutes or something, and – yeah, in maybe. Jerome, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought we took a three-hour nap there. No, no in Dead in Horse. Oh, That's okay. what I was asking you. No, okay. you came into We'd, Jerome. You had come into the decision to to go to Dead Horse, which is what I was going to tell you to do anyway. You basically just laid down and closed your eyes for twenty minutes or so in Jerome, but no. Okay. You. Yeah, you, yeah. Because yeah. I remember, <laughs> um, when you got up, you you said something about. I couldn't even sleep in there. Chili was talking so daggone oh, yeah. much. I couldn't couldn't even sleep. He's being loud. Everybody talking, shining lights in the car. You was mad about it. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. That wasn't even true. He was just mad. <laughs> but so we, yeah, because I was starting to hallucinate and everything. So we yeah. took a twenty minute nap there. Also coming off a of Mingus in that in that nasty trail. This is where my feet started to to give up. And uh, if you guys want to see that. Right one there, of the, one of the people asked, "What is that on your foot?" Yeah, that's be, that's the uh, the entire uh, the entire sole of my foot is peeling off. Wouldn't it be funny if he's had a cramp when he just picked it up right there? <laughs> like the gloves coming off. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's like I'm peeling a glove. Well, off I didn't of, even see it. What are you What are you talking about? Oh, you, the top there. Well, yeah, I mean everything. the The bottom's <laughs> peeling off. The, so this is where my feet started to go ahead and and uh, it's just dead skin, man. <laughs> yeah, and get bad. And so I picked up Brooke and Jerome as my pacer. Yeah, and while cut, you were coming down Mingus, me and her were dancing with the aid station workers. Yeah, so we were a little whipped up when you got in there. Yep, <laughs> and she was in hog heaven. Yeah pacing me through through the night coming out of jerome uh coming out of there <clears throat> you come your cut jerome's built into the side of a mountain and so you got to descend off the mountain into i think cottonwood heights yeah. or something and the first couple of miles coming out of jerome was just down these just ridiculous they're not even trails they, they, these things that we were going down were just openings in the cactus, strode with broken glass and metal and loose rock. And you had changed into road shoes. Yeah, I changed into too. road shoes. Yeah. yeah. And that is that the only section you wore those? It was the only section I wore them, yeah. And so, yeah, it was just awful. It was terrible <laughs> coming down, uh, the, the, the thing coming down off of there. 
And then finally jumped onto some fire road and the hallucinations continued. I, I remember we went through, we were coming around a turn in the fire road and uh, Brooke was shining her light over on the edge of the fire road. And I thought there was a, I thought that there was a shanty house built on the side of the road there. And there was a man out there waving his arms. And I started telling Brooke, don't shine your lights into this, into people's house. <laughs> And uh, what went by, and it was a mound of dirt and a garbage can. I bet she thought, what the crap are you talking about? Yeah. Um, coming down through the town, we actually met a, a guy, a fan of the podcast. Uh, I think his name was Mike. I was a little hazy there, but we Mike was hanging out on the sidewalk in the middle of the night. We come running by. He runs a mile or two with us. Uh, he, he, was, he prayed for me. Uh, and we had some good conversation with him. That was really cool. This might be him here. This guy says, I saw Chad in Clarkdale at mile 130. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. That had to have been him. Yeah. Is it Mike? Crete Lab. Uh, yeah, he said, yeah, that was me. I don't, what's your name, Crete Lab? Handcrafted Furniture. He must it was be. Michael Cook, right? Okay, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That was really special, man. That was really special because he was like, man, I... He was like, man, I just want to come. I wanted to meet you down here and uh, and pray some strength into your legs. And I looked back at Mike and I said, Mike, you don't know how bad I need that right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was really special that uh, that we got to to spend some time with him. And the the funny story is, as we're coming down through town, I see Mike ahead. I'm lucid enough to see him ahead on the sidewalk. And I notice he's just kind of milling about <laughs> on the sidewalk, and I'm thinking, all right, here's this shady dude up here on the sidewalk in the <laughs> middle of the night. Uh, we, we might want to watch out for him because he's kind of milling about looking like he's up to no good, <laughs> and he ends up being a friend. <laughs> so that, uh, that really, to be honest with you, that interaction with him and just uh, – getting to connect with a a, a a member of the body of 307 Project, somebody who joins in on these conversations with us, somebody who supports us, somebody who would take the time out of their life to come out there and to meet with us and, and, and share uh, strength with us, it really gave me a boost of energy. And so after that, we were able to run quite a bit we ran me and brooke ran quite a bit uh all the way into the dead horse ranch state park mm -hmm. and uh brooke did a great job navigating through there it was a pretty tricky section a lot of deep sand once we got off the road uh and by the time we got to dead we were getting coming off the road getting into the park i'll never forget you know, I tell you guys, I was ashamed of myself for losing focus during this day too. I was, I was so daggone tired, and um, we get to a point, and I'm just kind of like stumbling around. You were sleep deprived. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Was... And and sleep deprivation is a strange thing, guys. Everybody wonders how. Sleep deprivation affects you differently on every occasion because sleep deprivation it's it it affects you based off of the cumulative stress 
that you've been putting on your body over the course of the amount of time that you have been awake. At least that's the way I've figured out it affects me. So the reason at 42, 43 hours I was so beat was because of the the heat, the dehydration, the uh, all of the elements that we had been facing that kind of sapped me to where I was getting to the point at 42, 43 hours that I was almost unfunctioning. Um, and so I'm almost stumbling around and Brooke looks back at me and she's like, are you all right? And I said for the first time ever racing, I just looked at her and I said, yeah, I'm just freaking tired. First time I've ever said that racing, right? And that was the honest to God truth. Yeah. Like I was to the point where I was like, this is, po- it's pointless for me to, I'm moving so slow and stumbling around right now. Like it's, it's almost pointless for me to be out here doing this because we're not making any ground here. Right. And so we came into dead horse and then that's where I actually took my first decent sleep as, uh, as laid out by coach Chili. This is why we paid 10, uh, Chili $10,000 a month for his coaching services. So tell us about that sleep strategy, Chili. Well, you didn't listen to my sleep strategy. Um, that was to take your first significant sleep much sooner, which I missed that part. Yeah, you missed that part. You didn't. You didn't really want to plan when you were going to sleep, and it's not like I have rigid plans for stuff like that either. But the race like this, you want to kind of have. Okay, here's what we're going to do if it goes perfect, and then when things don't go perfect, well, then you adjust. But you just kind of were like, from the get-go, no, I'm not going to plan when to sleep. We'll just kind of see when it happens. And I was just like, all right. And I would have done it roughly, I mean, depends on the speed of the runner you're talking about here. Like, I don't know that this would apply to anybody. But if you're talking about winning the race, what I think seems ideal is taking that sleep uh, about 24 hours in or maybe even before so I whiskey row. Oh yeah, I mean maybe even before a full twenty four hours. Um, and and yeah, taking something that's going to give you substantial benefits from it, and you know a legitimate reset. Yeah, like to me, if you have practiced with maybe one hour sleeps and that was enough for you, well then that's probably good to go. But generally. I think that's kind of in that middle ground of unnecessary. I think a 20 to maybe even 30 minute nap per se is can give you a lot of benefits, basically the same as an hour without all the time. But if you're going to sleep for at least that long, you might at least, you know, say an hour, two hours, I would recommend just going the full three. That's a full REM cycle, getting the full benefits of the sleep from that. At least you're trying to. Oh, it did. Yeah. It hit the spot, son. Yeah. And I wouldn't have and I wouldn't delay it that far in because say say if you had had laid down for let's just say 30, 30 minutes, 20 something hours in, you may have been able to go another 24 much more quality. Yeah. And then taking another 30 minute nap or a three hour sleep there and then push on to the, for, to the finish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think the little minor tweaks like that 
are just critical because you're getting so far behind and that first 43 or whatever it was for you, 45 is, I think that's just, that's asking to get way behind the ledger on sleep. And, you know, you're getting behind, period. I mean, if you wait 24 hours, you're behind. But but there's there's such a thing as like beyond return. Yeah. And I think going almost two days on that race and that style and everything, you're you're beyond return. Yeah. Like you can get a little behind in food. I mean, you can get a little dehydrated. But there's a point of no return from both of those as well. And sleep is no different. And and by the way, if people hear you say you were a little dehydrated or a little behind food, that that the best you can do is mild dehydration. That's best case scenario. And best case scenario with food is being you know, a f- slightly under calories. I mean, you're never going to stay on top of it. It's just impossible or something like that. Yeah. But but if you stay that close to the line, you're good and you can you can still operate well and sleep's really no different. Like you're going to be sleep deprived, but you can you can get just enough intermittently and really not taking that much time and, and stay ahead of, you know, that stumbling around and that. Yeah. You don't get yourself so far into the hole. Yeah. But But, with where you were at, I think you needed three hours at that point. Um, And what, and what, and what Chili's talking about being strategic with this sleep and, and what can actually happen because of the length of this event. I, I have to back up and, and, uh, to tell you guys, Mike McKnight is the ultimate example of how you can come back yeah. on these on these races and how you can take time in these races yep. and still come back if you can run strong. Because if you can run. If you can run. Because I saw, again, you guys heard in the first uh in the first video or the first podcast on this, I saw Mike McKnight. Um, where did I see Camp him Kippa, at? Wasn't it? At Camp Kippa at mile 62, and he was bundled in a blanket on a couch. And I, and I, I, I went by him, never saw him again. From mile 62... This dude spent, I don't know how much time, he'll have to tell the story one day, I don't know how much time he spent in Camp Kip. I don't even know what he was dealing with, but he spent hours there. And he passed me and Blake coming off of Mingus Mountain. Chad stopped and he pulled his glasses down or took them off and he said, is that Michael McKnight? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, him him and and his his buddy... um, I just started following his buddy. The big long beard. Yeah, he's got the, he's got a, he's the only dude in ultra running that has a better beard than me. <laughs> we talked to him at Bumblebee. Remember? Yeah, yeah, what, I remember. What I remember. is his name? We never introduced names. I don't know. Um, gosh, I I want to have him and Mike on the podcast one day because they are. They yeah, he are, was a great guy. I met him, talked to him at Bumblebee, and um, he was waiting on Michael. And ben we Light. Ben Light. Ben okay. Light. I don't think we even introduced names. If we did, I'm sorry, but yeah, Ben. Ben is a Christian, conservative Christian, uh, and Mike is a Christian too. And I want to have both those guys on to have a conversation one of these days. I don't know. It seemed like we could do a lot of fun stuff with those guys. Yeah, um, 
They they like a lot of the same stuff we like. Kind of briefly met Mike at the end there, but uh, we we talked to Ben a good bit at uh, Bumblebee, and yeah, they were great. But anyways, these guys passed us, and Mike goes on to win the whole dang race. Yeah, and and set a new course record on on the on this year's on the original course, which yeah. is what we ran this year. So with the duration of something like this, like. If you're strategic about the sleep or if you have a problem, like you're still not out of the fight. It's a matter of can you get up and start putting yeah. down some quality miles again. That's the caveat to what I said. Like the sleep strategy that I was laying out is trying to win. It's trying to sleep as little as possible at the right times. But I mean, you can take the faster you run, the more sleep you can take. Yep. And I mean, you could run so fast that you could take three hours every night. You know, every time it got dark. Yeah, you could. I, if you if you ran that fast. I mean, it, th- that's all individual. I mean, some people would try to win that way, and it would be a total disaster. Because they couldn't run fast enough. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it, yeah, the, the sleep strategy is all... I mean, there's certain things that you must do to if you're going to win. Like, you're not going to take six hours a night and win. I mean, you're just not going to. But I think you could run fast enough and... And sleep maybe even three hours a night if that was super beneficial to you and you were just a really you kept your body in a strong place because you're gonna take some time every day and why not get behind you just get your full rim cycle every night yeah and you know you take maybe six hours out of the whole race if you did that six to nine hours I mean depending on when you finish like it's really not that much time and it's not and it's not wasted time yeah but another thing you have to do if you sleep that long is limit your time at aid stations. Yeah, yeah. One thing about Michael McKnight is that dude is super efficient at aid stations. I, mean, I know the one you saw him at, he was in a low place, but that happens. But, I mean, the majority of them, he's he's quick. He's efficient, and he's back on his feet running again. Mm-hmm. And running well. And when running well. When he passed me and Blake, he yeah. was running well. Yeah, he's running into the aid stations well, and then he's not staying so long that he's getting stove up, and he's just boom, 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 and then he's out and running again. So, yeah. So yeah, anything anything can happen in, in in this distance, which I love that about yeah. it. I love that about this distance. Um, I'll tell you what, this three hour nap that we took down here at this dead horse ranch did for me. It set me up for an entire day of good running. You can go about twenty plus hours again. It literally reset my body. It was it was crazy, man. And my feet weren't bad enough yet that that the the pain in my feet that that was they hurt, but it wasn't stopping me from running. So that three hour nap, we woke up at about four AM, got out of the aid station a little before five, and I started running with uh Jennifer Ward um going to Deer Pass Trailhead. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the lead up going moving into Sedona. Yeah. Uh good good trail, nice runnable trail. The 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 surface finally transitioned from this stinking loose sharp rock that was <laughs> just just unbelievably stupid. We don't have that here on the East Coast. All of our rock here on the East Coast is set into the ground. It's mossy, it's slick. It's nothing. The rock's nothing like that. And so this section with Jennifer, the actual surface of the trail began to turn into this kind of soft, 
uh, dirt, this loose packed soft dirt that was just beautiful. Mm, yeah. The sun started, the sun rose. I just had that three hour nap and man, we started running, right? Other than the time that I had to stop and take a dump behind a bush. Um, other than that, man, we, we just crushed through that section, uh, came to the Deer Pass Trailhead and then picked up James and we started our trek through Sedona. Well, you came in there and you threw your poles down and you said, it's time to tar- start taking some souls, son. Oh, man. So you was yeah. feeling yeah, good. I felt good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, well, that, that three hours just, just reset me yeah. completely. And man, it, it felt... That, then I launched off with James into Sedona. Sedona was hot. It was really hot. There were some some good climbs in there, some good sustained climbs, but there was also some good running, some good downhills. Yeah. Uh, I was feeling so good. I was. I, I'll tell you how good I was feeling. The fact that stretch from Mingus to to where Brooke dropped me off. I had got so bad, I was starting to get worried that, like, crap, are we going to finish this? And and then that stretched through Sedona. There were spells where I was running so well that I was getting emotional over the fact that I could run again. With James? Yeah. Like, I was having to fight back tears just because I was like, holy crap, I can run again. Well, you were like, riding them highs and lows, Yeah, man. we can actually do this, man. I'm, I'm Look at how I'm running on this technical downhill. Like, I'm flying down this thing, dude. And the whole time, James is like, dang, dude, you're you're moving, man. Managing the heat well, climbing well, everything just flew through there, right? Hit a water station uh, and got out of Sedona and came up into... Schnebly Hill, and maybe I maybe I was feeling so good through Sedona. Well, dang, man, you skipped a huge section. I mean, you went into Sedona with James, and then you picked me up, and then we did a lot before Schnebly Hill. Did I really? Because <laughs> yeah. I've got on here Deer Pass Trailhead. Okay, Sedona. 163. 163, okay. James took you to there. Okay, so and then, I'm mentally blocked from 163 to uh, 180 then. Well, you nicknamed so, that the Death March. Was yeah, that, that the was, Death March? That was where you had to do your gear check. With yeah. Those guys from North Dakota, came. they were there. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you kind of missed a lot. Oh, man. yeah, I blocked that whole section <laughs> out then if that was the Death March. Yeah, so. I mean, you ran well with James to Sedona, and then, you know, we were going all the way up to Schnebly Hill. So is that when we had to climb? I mean, dude, we had the river crossing. We had the dude. No way, dude. Well, that's where we saw Jeff Browning. I mean, dude, you. Holy crap! Are you kidding me? Okay, <laughs> I can tell these stories, but I'd rather you okay. tell them. No, talk me through that section, Chili, because uh, it, it's starting to come back to me. I'm just wondering what happened. Oh, yeah, I mean, so many significant did, things happened in that. I was did, like, I wouldn't skip to Schnebly Hill. Did Did I run too fast through Sedona, or what the crap, man? Well, so I was pretty sure you ran well into 163 Sedona because it was pretty quick, you know, with James yeah. and you know you had you had got into 155 or whatever. It, whatever 150 whatever it was with jennifer 148 okay and um you know you were real excited and that kind of made everybody excited you know how pumped you were 
And I was just, I was just sitting back kind of just laughing to myself because I was like, man, that's the highs and lows of, of, of this. That was the know? biggest high of the race. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was clearly the biggest high of the race. And I was like, and you just came off the biggest low. I mean, I was just laughing to myself cause I was like, everyone, you know, sometimes you as the runner kind of get too caught up in the highs and lows and everybody watching you can too. Cause it's just like, I don't know. It's almost like you quit looking at it as a, as a broad view as the, as the entirety of it. And you just start looking at it section to section. You're like, well, that one went well, so this must be going great. You know? And I was just like, that's great and all, but you got to remember, he's probably going to come down off of this again. So like, we've got to try to be smart here because it's not over. I mean, it was not over at that point, you know? I, mean, I just thought I was going to run like that all the way into the finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think that. <laughs> but uh, We only had 100 miles left to go. Yeah. That's another thing that was happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had finally pared it down to just 100 miles left. Well, see, that's why you were so excited. I mean, yep. you got some sleep. You had ran again. You knew it was 100 miles left. You had you weren't low on much. It was nice and cool in the, in the night, and you were just on a high. But... Um, yeah, that kind of continued into Sedona. And then already when you got into Sedona, that was, you could tell that, you know, that section took more of a toll on you than the one with Jennifer. And um, we had to spend a little more time there and get the mandatory gear ready for, for a long 17-mile section in the heat and, so, and a climb, you know, and they were concerned about cold weather gear and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, we did all that and we left out of there. Chili was in that mode too, son. When he was leaving Sedona, he was in that mode. Chili will kill you. <laughs> he hey, he wasn't gonna talk to nobody. You say something to Chili, and he'd just look at you real mean, <laughs> and he would go on. He done got in that. Look, man, it. You had not done the things up until that point that you needed to to win, but it was not over. I mean, it was it was not over, and I was like. I don't know what mental state you're in right now. Well, I kind of did, but I didn't care. I wanted you to realize that you still had the win attainable because it was. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in front of you. And if you could run like that the rest of the time, as unlikely as that may be, it's like you could freaking do it. Oh, yeah. So that's what we were trying to do. And um, that section right out of there was through some kind of mountain bikey type trails, you know, and we walked too much of that, I thought. Was it dark? No. Okay. Middle of the day, probably okay. noon. <laughs> and uh you had just got done I knew you had got done running well with James and then I was like, well we're walking a little too much through this, but I was kind of trying to push you, trying to push you, but then you were asking me about what plateau we were going up or whatever. And I was like, I don't give a crap. I mean, let's just run. And I, we were going, and I didn't really know what this section was going to hold at all, but we we finally got into some technical stuff down by that water because we were anticipating the creek crossing. Oh, I know where we're at now. Yeah. We had went, we had got up to the base of them bluffs. And we contoured that ridge. Yep. Yep, and then we got down, across that bridge. Yep. Yep. Oak Creek. Yep, and then we got down to there, and finally we're looking for it. It was a little bit hard to see where to go and all this. It was technical down there by the water and i was just like good grief and then you know i was i was hoping you could move better through that but we were just going pretty slow and then we got to the 
creek crossing and then howie stern was over there taking photos so you you're you're with me now right yeah yeah we crossed that talked to them a little bit and then immediately after that you start that climb yep and that was you know that was a slow rocky climb but really it's it's a good section and uh you actually hiked up that pretty fast i mean that's what i knew from how fast you did it and from what James was telling me is you hiked really well up Mingus and you were you were power hiking really well through there I was like yeah I mean his climbing muscles are still good so we've just got to use them and yeah I remember you were telling me the whole way up there you were like we're going to pass people on this hike like and just, we did stay steady and yeah we did we passed people yeah yeah we did and um, that climb and uh yeah, I thought you, I mean, that's really uneventful. It may have been difficult, but it was, it was good all the way up to the top. And we knew there was a water station up there. So we got to that water station and, um, windy as crap. Yeah. And, and I was refilling the water and then I look over to the left and I'm like, I, I, I see him running and I go, who is that? I mean, I was, I didn't realize that the 125 race had, I, I, I just didn't even know that was happening. And, uh, I just thought. I thought it was somebody up there training because I was like, there's nobody running like that. And then as they got closer, I, I went, good Lord, that's Jeff Browning. And he filled up his water in about 30 seconds, spoke to you a little bit, you know. He looked at me. He said, we got some rock, don't we? <laughs> I said, yeah, y'all got some rock up here, son. And then he was gone. But, dude, I mean, Browning was, he was over, I mean, what, over halfway? Yeah. He was deep in, and he looked like a dang, I mean, just floating golly you look good but jeff is jeff is a good runner on that stuff man he finished that that 125 fast oh yeah but at the same time that all that was happening you were propping your feet up on that table just looking rough again yeah that that was kind of the first part where where i was beginning to realize that my feet were going to become a, a real big issue well, it was your Achilles, too. Yep. Um, On my right foot, Achilles tendon, where it attaches to my heel, it was getting extremely swollen. Yeah, you were complaining about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if I was complaining about it. Oh, you it, were complaining about or it. Or I, I, was, I was letting you know what I was dealing with so you wouldn't get mad at me that I was babying <laughs> You it. looked at me and said, my right Achilles is lit, son. And <laughs> 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 I was like, I was like, well... I mean, yeah, what'd you expect? You, I tell you what, you got to pay attention to that. Oh, yeah. You have to pay. If your Achilles tendon starts to, to talk to you, you better pay attention to that. Because if you don't change something well, about your stride or if you don't do something to compensate for that, if that gets bad enough, you will not go anywhere. Well, when I say, oh, yeah, what I mean is you have to manage things the whole time and yeah. think about, you know, and respond to what the course has and what's thrown at you. But... Anyway, yeah, and that just wasn't good. And then we we got up there and, and started moving from there. And, I mean, I don't know if it was really the climb that took it out of you or it was just it had been getting long in the day now, yeah. you know, from, the, from what you did with James and then me up to that point. I mean, it was getting long. And, you know, we were on this beautiful fire road leaving that water station to Schnebley Hill. And I mean, if you like, I bet Browning was running so fast on that. It was unbelievable. You know, it was prime running, but 
at that point, late in the day, you just weren't able to really put it down much. We tried a little, but, you know, you had pretty much resorted to any significant incline hiking, you know, and honestly, most of it kind of was still up, Mm -hmm. and we just kind of ended up hiking most of it, and it was it was becoming a death march because from that water station to Schnebley Hill was a long way. Was that a good spell nah, on was, that fire road? It was eight, nine miles or something. Oh, wow. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, that was just, I don't know if you remember much of that, but like you uh, the, got. The only thing I remember about that was that dude, that other guy that was running the 250, and I just remember his pacer saying, huh, it's not good that. I'm drinking more water than my runner is. <laughs> yeah, he did. You remember that. that dude? He was <laughs> yeah. in a low spot. Man, man. I hate when I can't remember people's names, but we didn't really introduce ourselves that way to him either. But we talked to him a little bit, and he he ended up coming. Well, we can talk about that later. But he uh, he was in. I mean, as far as still moving on the trail, he was about as low as you you gonna get. Yeah, he had apparently. I mean, quit. moving as slow as you gonna get. He had apparently quit drinking. Yeah. According to his pacer, he didn't take yeah. any water at that water drop. And this isn't a knock on him. I mean, he was still moving. Oh, yeah. But, like, as far as what I should say is how, as far as still moving, he was moving about as slow as you could. Yeah. I mean, because he had done the climb all right, but man, we were moving slow out of that water station and we just were gapping him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was rough. <laughs> but, uh, that, yeah, that honestly, from that water station to Schnebley Hill, all I'll say is you degraded as those miles went on. Okay. Like it just, the pace got slower, the demeanor got worse, the tiredness was kind of, I mean, the the sleepiness was, because it wasn't even dark yet, and it just let me know that once it got dark, it was going to be time to sleep. Like you were just not going to be able to go hours and hours past this. And Snebly Hill, that's where our, our, our buddy that we met at Packet Pickup. Yeah, Nathan. Nathan was running the the uh, aid station up there. Yep. And that puts us at mile 180. Yep. 180 miles. What did we do at Snebley Hill? We didn't sleep. We didn't... No. We just stocked up. No, you um, you complained about your feet at Snebley Hill. <laughs> Brooke tried to, like, she was going to do something to your feet and... We considered putting them in some cold water and all this, and I mean, you just—I think we did actually put them in yeah, cold water. Yeah, put them in put, water. Yeah. yeah, and you. Yeah, because I remember because that river crossing actually made my feet feel yeah. a little better for a minute. Yeah, and you, <laughs> Brooke was doing something, and you know, you took your socks off for that, and and you were not wanting to take your socks on and off anymore because of your feet, and like you. She touched you one time, and you looked like you were going to kill her, dude. Yeah, she was just carelessly moving around. She bumped on him, and he and, said, watch them feet. And, you know, you were I was, you were in a good enough spot at Schnebley Hill to try to, to kind of joke and stuff, and you were making fun of me and making fun of Blake and, and saying all this stuff. And I was like, well, that's it's always good when you can do that, but he's doing that because he's in kind of a, kind of a bind here, like – it's getting rough again, you know, and I was just like, well, I mean, we'll take some significant time here, not sleeping wise, but get lots of food and, and, and just take care of all this stuff. Cause you had took off your feet, uh, shoes and socks and everything. And I was just like, whatever, we'll, we'll take the time. And then, you know, I didn't, I, the next push was, I don't know, 12, 13 miles. So that's enough 
that's enough time you can expect that it's going to be long and and difficult even if the terrain wasn't bad, which I thought it was going to be pretty smooth. I thought it was going to be like that fire road we had done up to that point. And I was like, oh, we, maybe we can run again, you know, because it's downhill. And I would have liked to have seen you run more on some of those slight uphills. That's That's got to happen to keep moving fast. Yeah. You know, like, if unless it's a sure enough climb, you got to be running it. You just manage your heart rate, but, you know, we didn't, and um, I was like... Well, well, I'm going to try to do better for you next time. All right, really. and then, so, but anyway, leaving Schnevely Hill, I was just like, all right, we got to run. And there's a video of that on Instagram. Yeah. That, so that's how, I, I would not have known things degraded to the point that they did degrade to, but for that video that I posted on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Because oh, I could <laughs> when, when I stand up out of the daggone vehicle and we're going to walk back on the road like that now to the point my feet are to the point that i can barely freaking walk at least for the first 20 minutes yeah well you had been telling me yeah and uh i, I could was, barely walk i was getting pissed and uh <laughs> yeah leaving there but i was just i was telling you i was like look we're gonna get you moving again and then we're gonna run this down to 193 or whatever it was and you know we left out of there holding a bunch of food you can yeah. see that in the video, and uh, you know we ate some of that, and then it was still light, but it was about to get dark, and then you know we we headed down the fire road, and that's just how it was. Do you remember anything more about Schnebly? Nope, I don't even know. We were going to Munns Park, wherever yeah. that is. Yeah, that was pretty significant, but there wasn't a whole lot to really say. Yeah, I mean we we left the Munns Park there. We we hiked for a while. Um, we ate that food and then we kind of started running and that's when we saw Rolo. Okay. Remember Rolo and uh somebody else. That would have been Dawn, right? No, not yet. Okay. But I'm talking about early leaving Schnebly. We saw we we I mean we we talked with Rolo a good bit. And he was That was on that old rutted out fire road. Yeah. And going he was, down and pastures were on our left hand side. Yep, and he was in a good he was in a good space, I thought. He was doing good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was cool. And, but anyway, we kind of stayed steady with him, you know, give or take, little front, little behind, and went down that. And then, kind of right once it got dark, it, uh, that dang fire road wasn't a smooth, dusty trail anymore. I mean, it got to some of that bigger rock. And I was just like, oh boy, he's he's not going to like this. And it was starting to get cool at that point. I remember it being pretty cool up on... Yeah, it was cooler, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, just because of that, started walking again, and just slow, buddy. There was some, there was some minor climbs in there, and then the downs were just covered in those rocks, and it was just like, well, I guess we ain't going to be moving too fast over this. But I was trying to push you still, trying to push you, and then... To not drag that on too long, yeah, we got down, we got down some of that to where it finally got smoother again, and that's where we passed Don with his pacer. Okay, and he, you know, it was sure enough dark at this point for a little while, and we weren't too far out from um, Munns Park, probably a mile and uh, or more, but we'll just say a mile. And Don was uh, 
Don was, I mean, at that point, man, I think he had ran good early, and then he was, like, walking rough, you know, when we passed him, and we stopped and talked to him for a while. Yep. And um, do you did you notice how much faster Don started walking when we passed him? Oh, yeah. I mean, like a lot faster. Yeah. It was crazy. Kind of like what happened, you know, with you, I think, when when Rolo got with you. We were walking out of that aid station pretty slow, and then I noticed you were walking faster when, when Rolo was there. And then, you know, when we got to Don, he was walking real slow, and then when you he got... picked to, it up. Yeah, he picked it up and then talked to him for a while. And then you actually ran. When we left Don, you started running again on some of that flat stuff. Mm-hmm. And... The sleep deprivation was getting pretty obvious in my head, but then you actually said it because I just I wasn't gonna say, "Hey, man, you sleep deprived," but we got down and we were running and it was downhill and you stopped and I was just like, "All right, we'll just take a second here, you know, try to maybe run, walk," and then you basically looked at me and were like, "Hey, buddy, I'm getting a little wonky," and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> We can still move though, right? And you were like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a." And then that's about when we were on that road section, and we passed those grates in the road, and you were like, "That, that looked like a guitar string or something." And I was like, "Oh crap!" Oh yeah, I do. I know where we're at now. <laughs> I was like, "We're so close to Munns Park. Just, just stumble on in here, buddy. Don't, don't start this now." <laughs> Yeah, I walked across one of those cattle grates, and it was the cattle grate was vibrating. Yeah, you were like, "That's vibrating like a guitar string." Yeah, and I was like, "Yep, all right, <laughs> let's uh, let's go ahead and get on in oh, here, buddy." Okay, I, I now I know where we're at. So we crossed that cattle grate. It, it was vibrating. I said, "Oh, that looked kind of weird." <laughs> and Chili was like, "What the crap are you talking about, man?" <laughs> And that's when I told him about that. And then we're getting down into Munns Park. And I told Chili, I was like, hey, man, we need to take a sleep yep. down here. And he was like, okay, you can have 30 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, man, I think I, I think I need a little bit longer than 30 minutes. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit crazy right now. <laughs> he said, nope, you can have 30 minutes. <laughs> I Remember said, how mad you got? Oh, yeah. And I got, I got freaking mad at Chili. <laughs> I said, all right, buddy. I said, I'll take 30 minutes, and if that's not enough, I'm going to wake up and slap you. <laughs> that's what you were saying coming into the aid station. You was yelling. Yet you probably, a, I mean, maybe, a, I don't know how far out, a few hundred yards, and you were saying, Chili's about to get slapped. I'm about to slap Chili. <laughs> so, uh, I... I we were experimenting here. I, I knew, 30, I at least I think I knew 30 minutes of sleep wasn't going to pull me out of this pit that I was in. Well, but Chili wanted to test it out because his plan was to not take any more long sleeps. Chili's plan was to take a little 30-minute nap well, here or there until the finish line. Well, at this point, it was pretty much over. Yeah. But not technically over. Mike hadn't finished yet. And I was like, look, man, you just, <laughs> I know you need sleep here. You, you've got it. I'm going to make you, you got to take some, but let's just take 30 minutes and just move. Like just, you, you've, <laughs> we got to keep trying, man. Yeah. And you just weren't having it. I mean, you'd given up the ghost at that point, And I was just like, well, I'm going to just keep pushing you. And you just were so irritated. 
because you knew it wouldn't be enough. And I did too, like to actually, you know, make him feel great. Well, but, he ended up sleeping an hour. Well, yeah, there. we got him up at 30 minutes and, and he just was like, huh, 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 and he just, said, ah, that ain't enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we put him down and you kind of looked at me like, you're going to let him sleep for another 30. And I was like, I don't care at this point. What well, we I remember you saying that you, you were like, well, I wish I would have just let him sleep an hour because in his mind, he would have been much fresher if he <laughs> thought that's what he needed and he did it. Then yeah. he would have thought like, oh, I'm good now. Yeah, I mean, it was, what the crap, man. It was just. Yeah, so I got, I had I had been reduced to the mashed up pile of butthole point to where cattle grates were vibrating and I was threatening to, to <laughs> fight my pacer. <laughs> Well, that, my best friend and pacer, I was threatening to fight him. Well, that's typical, you know. <laughs> we kind of get mean just as a default. But, yeah. I remember yeah. Chili looked at me like, are you really going to slap me? <laughs> he, he, he thought, and maybe I was serious. <laughs> he definitely took my threat seriously, though. Well, no, I looked at you like, "Are you? do you actually pretend like you're in some kind of a shape to slap me right now? <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm like to see you try. <laughs> yeah, I was like, go ahead and try. You'll probably knock yourself over and fall on the ground. I mean, <laughs> then they'd help me to help you back up so you can try to slap me again. <laughs> so we come into Munns Park, and here, and, and here at Munns Park is the the highlight of Chili's. Oh yeah, race was once we took our little one hour nap. Yeah, and we got back up, and we were headed out of Munns Park. I mean, if this wasn't everybody's favorite part, once they get a little glimpse into it, I don't yeah. know what is. I mean, it's, it's, it's what. I mean, if you didn't do this, boy, it would just have been. That section would have just got, just real, you know, brushed under the rug. Just real, you know, you would have blocked. Everyone would have blocked it out. But then you stood up, or no, sorry, you sat up, and you already talking crazy. But you're kind of just, you know, he's just happy, you know. And uh, Blake's packing his food or whatever. What were you? Quesadilla I was wrapping up. rolling up a tinfoil. Quesadilla. Yeah. Just like you had done the time before. Yeah. And I'd see Chad over there. He's just watching you. He's just looking at you. I mean, not even doing nothing for a good 15 seconds. And just looking, looking, looking. And go ahead and tell him what you said. He starts scooting out. <laughs> yeah, he starts truck, scooting out, slowly. and he starts starts rapping. Yeah, you don't I, remember what you said? Uh, no, I threw. I, I know <laughs> I threw down a couple of big raps right there, though. Yeah, he starts scooting out the car, and he's like, "Pack of oatmeal, like a pack of bacon. Pack of oatmeal, like a pack of bacon, son." <laughs> and what do he say? You Snoop. pack that oatmeal like bacon, Blake. <laughs> Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre. <laughs> and we and we all were like, "What is he oatmeal?" <laughs> and we're like, that's a quesadilla. I think I told him. I, li- I literally said, Chad, that's a quesadilla. And he says, pack of oatmeal like a pack of bacon. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, boy. <laughs> we have. We have. Well, I didn't even get it until we all started talking afterwards. And I think we finally realized maybe you thought that I was wrapping up oatmeal yeah. in that tinfoil like someone would put bacon in tinfoil sometimes. You know, they would pack bacon in tinfoil, but you thought I was packing your oatmeal like a pack of bacon. Well, I kind of understood that at the time. That's why I told him, hey, man, that's a quesadilla. And then you looked straight back at me and said, they're packing oatmeal like a pack of bacon. Vibrate like a guitar string. <laughs> that's what he said, yeah, vibrate. And I was like, oh, man, that's a reference to a few hours ago. This is He's doing good. <laughs> He's doing real good. <laughs> 
he's got recall and everything. But yeah, so I, I dropped some, dropped some hard raps in there. Uh, this is all caught on film, by the way. Yeah. I hope this will all be part of the documentary. I have the clip. Yeah. Uh, Drake sent me over the clip of all this the other day, <laughs> and uh, and it's it is. I think you'll get a good laugh out of it because I drop all my raps. And then I look at James, and I say, James, where are we going? <laughs> then I fall in behind him, and as I walk out of, I walk away from the car, I look up at everybody and say, all right, screw you guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and start laughing. And then I said, yeah. And then I get a cackling fit. I, I didn't even remember it, but in that video, right after you said that, I said, you know, if you move faster, you'll probably stay warm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yep. then you just brush past that, and uh yeah, because he was cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. At I that be- point, he was getting cold. I was being easy. serious. Yeah. I was, and then he was thinking, "Screw you again." Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and yeah. so here is the point that here here's where the real death march began. Well, let's not forget it was about a hundred yards out of that parking spot, and that took. Well, you remember we packed everything up. We sit around and talked, and then we were driving back down the road, and we passed them. And Chili <laughs> looked at me, and he said, "Oh my gosh, they haven't gotten any further than this." I said, "He has went less than a half a mile in forty minutes. Yeah, that is bad." bad. This, I mean, this is where the true death march began. I mean, holy! I, I do remember that. We we had you know stood around for a while. And got all the stuff ready. And when we left out, it was the same direction you did. And I was, I looked and I said, is that them? And it was. And I was like, oh, boy. I yeah. mean, this is going to take. Yep. You finally moved better than that. But. So at this point, because of my feet, uh, what would happen is every time I would stop and, and then when I would stand back up, I, I'm not kidding you guys, man. Like, I, I I like to imagine I'm not a wuss. I don't know. Maybe I am. I, I, I don't know. But I, I will tell you, when I would stand back up after stopping, the pain in the bottoms of my feet was indescribable. Like, it, 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 was, it wasn't something that you could just buck. It wasn't something that you could just ignore, like, ah, that hurts. No, it, it, it was... It, was debilitating. Well, you said you almost threw up a couple times, didn't you? Yeah. A couple times? <laughs> yeah, I almost threw up a couple of times on count of it. And Soft belly. Yeah. <laughs> not not on count of my stomach was upset, but the pain was so intense, it almost caused me to vomit when I would stand back up. And I would it would take about about any somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes for the pain to subside enough that I could actually walk at a more normal pace, like a 17, 18 minute mile pace, right? But it would take that long for, I I just remember thinking, okay, I've got to keep moving and eventually everything's going to come back online and I'll be able to move better. So yeah, that, those first 20 to 40 minutes was really, really slow every time we would stop from this point forward just because everything would have to come back online. And I now I'm reduced down to the point, this is going now into the third night, That the point that we were talking about earlier on in the podcast 
where all all motivation, all uh, this and that, and all this nothing, nothing, it just don't freaking matter. <laughs> it just don't matter. The, the only thing that that matters is moving forward. And I remember looking over at James, and probably the last words I said on this leg that I went out of Munns Park on with James, I look over at him and I say, I don't give a freaking crap. And that was probably the last words I said. And and what I meant by that was, all right, I, I'm, I'm ground down, son, and I don't give a crap. Now the only thing is just to keep moving. It's just to finish this dang thing. See, this, as this race unfolded, it went from racing to trying to run well and eventually degraded into, let's stack everything in our favor to make sure that we get this busted bag of freaking crap across the finish line. Yeah. That's what it got reduced down into, okay? Well, well, at some point on that section with James, too, I mean, Mike had won and... Yeah, so so this is where I, I, I'm rendered down. We go out on this section with James Ward, and I'm pretty sure this is where all the blowdowns were at. Yeah. yeah. Yep, because I, I, I was thinking this coming up section is going to be a lot like the section that Chili and I had just done. I was cool with that because I knew I could still walk a 17, 18-minute mile. And you can knock some miles down at that pace. It, it's not so slow that it just feels like it's forever. Uh, but we get out to a certain point on here. It starts sleeting and raining. Uh, we just keep moving through it. We get a little turned around. Takes us a little while to correct course. And then we get on this daggone fire road. Where I'm not kidding you, man, there was a blown down pine tree, and I'm not talking like a little sapling. I'm talking a show enough pine tree. There was a blowed down tree, I'm going to say every hundred meters Mm. for, I don't know how far, it seemed like it went on for forever, but you know, you would, you'd navigate your way over, under, some way across this blowdown. You'd get to take, you know, 20, 30, 40 steps, and then there'd be another one. And and so that 17-minute, 18-minute mile hiking pace was just reduced to just nothing. Yeah. Because you were having to stop and navigate all these blowdowns. And I just remember thinking in my head, like, well, what the crap, man? How are you going to put this section, like, right here? Like, what the crap, man? That's just... That's just a bad attitude. Man. Oh, it was. It was <laughs> I, I remember thinking that, like, dang man, this section, you, you know, that this would have been, but what you know, back, you know, fifty, sixty miles ago, you know, but, but my, it's just, you know, you're stepping Don't over you know these the state things. I'm in. What do you have yeah, all these yeah, blowdowns here for? It, it wasn't. You couldn't come out here and clear this fire road off, man. Right. It wasn't ideal for you. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I'm got here, and didn't you know I was getting here during the night? Yeah. Should have no moved kidding. this back. So, we work our way through there, out into this long stretch where they've been logging. The road's all rutted up and pitted up, so it's not. It's none of none of that is even surface. That was a straight, freaking, just straight death march. Is all that was. That's all it was. 
Uh, we come on an aid station way back in there somewhere called Kelly Canyon. It's uh, no crew access. I'm freaking cold. I have every layer of clothing on, including my my uh, my hard shell, my insulating layer, everything. I had it all on. I'm still freezing cold because I can't move fast enough. My body's not regulating itself, and I can't move fast enough to generate enough body heat in that temperature to stay warm. And uh, we come, we're coming, approaching this age stage. So I'm like, James, I, I got to find somewhere to get warm. So they have a medical tent set up beside the aid station. They're like, oh, yeah, we got a heater in there. So I eased up in there while James was rejocking my vest and stuff and sat down beside this heater. There's a medic in there. She's talking to me, talking to me. And James comes in, and he's sitting down, rejocking his gear, getting ready to head out. And and I'm talking to this medical lady, and about halfway through every sentence, James hit me in the foot. Like, hey, man, I didn't realize it, but I had a cup of coffee, and I would be mid-sentence talking to this medic, and I would fall asleep sitting up. And so... And you don't want to do that around these medics, <laughs> all right? Let me tell y'all something about these medics that are out on these courses. They are there to help you. Yeah. But they are also there to deem you unfit yeah. to carry on with this event. Yeah. And this medic keeps looking at me like, uh, like strange. And she asked me a couple times, are you all right? Are you all right? And I'm thinking the whole time, why does this lady keep asking me if I'm all right? And finally, James is like, hey, man, we got to get out of here, all right? Like, yeah. he's starting to think, this lady's not going to let him carry on. So he gets me he gets me up out of there, and as we're walking out, he told me, he was like, dude, you realize you were, you were passing out mid-sentence talking to this lady. That's why she kept asking you if you were good to go or not. So thankfully, we got out of there. And uh, drop down into, where do we go from there? Kelly Canyon to Fort Tuthill. Yep. Yeah. Do we do anything in Tuthill? I remember that oh, spot. Oh, yeah, you was, slept in Fort Tuthill. Yeah. Was that our second three-hour yeah. nap? If, yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, you had uh, decided to sleep there for three hours, and, I mean, you just had to. I mean, the sleep wasn't hit. Well, wasn't planned well. I mean, you, you had no, no. It was a terrible. Place you had to no sleep. choice. Daytime. But, but I mean, you had no choice but to take three hours there. I mean, you just what, what were you gonna do? So, got up, went into the little indoor area. Yeah. They did a med check on me. Yep. I passed the med check. She asked me who the president was, what day it was. Yep. All this stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's also where we started looking at a plan for crossing Eldon too. You know, the, the big oh, climb yeah. there at I, the end. So, I do remember that. So, I got so cold that night with James and was moving so poorly. I remember at Fort Tuthill, that was where one of you guys told me, hey, it's going to get really nasty weather up on Eldon tonight. And you guys, you, James, and Chili, and Jennifer, and Brooke had sat around and basically had... Basically, you guys, I assume, decided 
you're not going to summit Eldon at night moving like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving like that. I mean, when you say... So tell des- me about that conversation. Well, when you say decided, at least my thought process is never set in stone. Okay. Like, I don't decide nothing until it's time to decide it. You yeah. can't decide something 100% 20 hours before it's time to actually do it. A lot of things could change. I mean, that's my thought process. I mean, you could, you come up with a plan for if it's how you think it's going to be so you don't go into it blind, but things could totally, totally change. I mean, what if you, not that this was likely, but what if you ran the entire section and got there with hours and hours and hours to spare? I mean, you could, you know, information changes. You You make a decision then based off of what you assume it's going to be like and then if you're correct then then the decision's made yep and yeah we sat around and you know i didn't really care what the weather was up there i wasn't gonna look at it but (laughs) i guess blake's looking out for you i'm trying to kill you and uh blake was looking at it and you know it's supposed to be well you can tell them what it was i don't even yeah i mean you know the weather when you're searching the weather on a mountaintop there there are uh, websites that give you a forecast for that but a lot of times they're different but in general, the the consensus was that it uh it was supposed to be like twenty five actual degrees. That was pretty consistent, and they all were saying thirty to forty mile an hour sustained winds with sixty to seventy mile an hour gust. So then they said, you know, the feels like temperature would be in the single digits, and that was kind of the conclusion you could draw. And so we just all talked and said, well, the way he's been moving, the way he's been being cold. Uh, even while he's moving, then, you know, he shouldn't cross that at night. So the plan was to essentially initiate this plan to move but kill time in a way. So, like, get your sleep at Fort Tut Hill, leave out of Fort Tut Hill, and moving, uh, you know, at a pace that you're covering ground and not just meandering, but also you're not just burning it down so you get to so you don't get to the next aid station with all this time to kill because regardless of how fast you went. Because it was a seventeen mile stretch from Tut Hill to Walnut Canyon. Right. A little and over seventeen. So we wanted that stretch to take to most of the day. Take the the remainder of the day. That's right. And so that was kind of our our plan. And without going all the way through what you know what we thought, that was the plan. So you slept just like you said, three hours, got up, got out of there, went to the uh, medical tent, and then Chili was pacing you on that next section. Yeah, and I mean, basically the thought process too was, look, I mean, if it was going to be that bad and you couldn't move faster than you were with James there, you're, I mean, you'd live, but you didn't even, you had a lot of gear, but you didn't have enough gear to even do that if those conditions were going to be that moving that slow and not stay cold. You had a fever. I mean, you, you know, you weren't in any shape. You needed sleep. And like I had paid enough attention to know that the writing was on the wall. You were going to sleep three hours at Fort Tut Hill and move pretty well given the circumstances for the first part of that 17 mile section. But by the end, it was going to take all day. I knew you were going to be degraded again yeah and so you'd have to sleep probably at that walnut canyon and then if you're gonna sleep there anyway and it's gonna take you into the night why not just sleep a few more hours and then do it in the morning i mean that just made you know i mean 
I just, you know, then I paid attention to you. Like I said, the decision wasn't made, but we leave Fort Tuthill and you're just pissing me off with some of what you're saying. We're <laughs> At that point, I remember Chili telling me, he's like, we're going to have to do something with him talking about his feet. I'm <laughs> sick of hearing about those feet. <laughs> well, to, to me, I, I mean, to be honest with you, to me at this point, if I can think back on that time, there was, the, the foot thing had at this point become comical to me. Well, it, it was like when, when you weren't I, acting too haha funny about it. I, I mean, it, it was literally comical to me that this had happened to my feet, like, and that I was moving so freaking slow on account of it. That's the way I felt about it. But, I knew it wasn't going to get better, so it just became funny. But, I, yeah, I was like, we're going to have to do something about that. I'm sick of hearing about his feet. And, uh, and you know, we moved out of there. We ran some of that. I mean, I knew I, I was like, this is going exactly how I thought it would. And then you we, ran some of it pretty quick. I, I mean, know. I know. And then we got up. to the Arizona Trail, which was an amazing section of trail for the for the for someone who could enjoy it. Um, like go out there on a day and just enjoy it, not be racing, you know, trying to be because that's what I've always said about races I've done is I've ran on some amazing stuff and I'm not even paying attention to the. But pacing you, I was like looking around more, and I mean that that Arizona Trail was awesome, and uh, it, uh, but it was hard though. It was technical in some spots and some you know good climbs, and we slowed down on that naturally, and then because that section was so long too without an aid, you just degrade, you know, as the, as the time goes. So about ten miles into it. 12 miles into it after a good section of that Arizona trail. I mean, we're, we're on some runnable trail and then we're just going slow again. I've become a leaky vessel. Yeah. I mean, just a puddle and <laughs> just you, you turn. Yeah. I mean, just some things you were doing were just really irritating me. And, uh, <laughs> we were just moving down through there and then, and then that just got slower and slower. Really? I mean, and I thought, well, yeah, I mean, look, this is he's gonna come in here. He's not acting real sleep deprived, but he pretty much is. He needs sleep, and then we're gonna need. We we had kind of started talking about it a little bit. You asked what James said and all that, and you know about the about how long you're to sleep there. And I was basically just like, why are we even talking about it? It's it's really up to you. I mean, I could make a decision here for you, but here's the deal: you're gonna be fine to go up there. But you need sleep. It's going to be, you're not moving fast enough to go up there and not get cold. You're going to get cold. And then I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you, I was like, you, you're moving so dang slow here. You're complaining about how long the, how long your feet have been hurting. I mean, I was just like. <laughs> you, was, you was moving so slow that Chili messaged me and he said, hey, it's, it was like. I think it was like three thirty, and Chili was like, "Hey, we're gonna be there about six thirty. And I looked at the tracker, yeah, and you had like a mile and a half left, and I thought, "Son, <laughs> taking about three hours, cover a mile and a half." <laughs> and well, I thought, "Well, well it almost I, did. maybe Chili is sleep deprived. What's up with this math?" And he said, "Well, no, he's just moving that fast." <laughs> well, yeah, it almost did. You know, that's when we saw Stephen. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and then you had went on. You were, I mean, not you were just. I mean. You were complaining about how long the aid station was out because that, you know, 
one mile out. Son. Yeah, you had been talking with Blake. I guess Blake coined that or whatever, whoever. And uh, yeah, that was about a four mile, one mile stretch, and you just, I was just like, good gosh, just get into Walnut Canyon, man. You went off and took a crap right after Stephen got with us. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, this is unbelievable. And then. <laughs> Because honestly, into Walnut Canyon, if you were going to run anywhere on that entire course, you would have ran right there. And not only did we walk, we crawled, man. And uh, that's why I thought it'd be 630. I don't think it was quite that long, but it wasn't far off. No, I mean, no, he ended up getting there about, I think, five o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I was far off then, but I just didn't know what he was going to do. When I told you that at 330, I thought, this is looking bad. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we got into there and like I said, somehow we had broached the topic out there on that section, me and Chad about, you know, what he was going to do there. And basically I was just over it because he looked at me and was like, well, Chili, if you think a 10 hour or so sleep is long for you, it ain't for me. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I was like, you know what, dude, I'm over it. Just don't even think about it then. Just just sleep for 24 hours and then we'll, then we'll move again. But I was like, yeah, man, I get that's, that's, not, that's not long for you, but we're trying to finish this as fast as possible still, or at least that's what I was thinking. And, um, you know, we got in there and he, he fought at you a little bit, Blake, and was like, well, what, what, what? I don't understand what changed. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, well, nothing's changed up to this point. I mean, we're, st we're just, you know, assessing this or whatever. And he was like, I got to sleep. Well, we had so. that plan in place. And even before I had talked to you about how he was doing, uh, we went and got some coffee and ate, me and James and Jennifer. And we were looking at the thing, the tracker, and we were like, dang. For that, the section we were watching, you're moving like it was showing like four, four and a half miles an hour. And we well, like, the first half, yeah, we were like, man, he hadn't moved this well in a while. And uh, the plan was for we wanted you to be coming into uh, Walnut Canyon around like eight so that you, you know, you spent that time kind of recover, walking, whatever, or just getting there. And uh, and then you came in at five and and we were or we saw you're moving well and we thought, dang. He might can cross Eldon tonight because he's moving so well. And then you come in and you said, uh, all right, we need to have a talk about what we're doing for Eldon tonight. And I was like, well, if you can get out of here quick, then uh, I think you could cross it tonight. I said, you know, you need you would need to be out of here by about six. And you was like, I don't know what it matters when I get out of here. What does it matter if I leave here at six or seven? And I was like, well, because it just it's just getting worse the longer you stay here. Yeah, you're gonna you summon like, at night. You're gonna summon at night. Who cares? Uh, you was like rolling your eyes, and I said, "Well, uh, I said, well, I'm gonna make the decision for you. I need to go talk to Chili, or we're gonna make the decision for you." So yeah, I mean, you came and asked me how's he moving, and basically, I think the way you framed it was, "Is he moving fast enough to not get cold up there?" And I was like, "Well, no." Yeah, I mean, if you're just talking about getting cold, I mean, he'll be fine, but <laughs> no, he's not moving fast enough to get. Not well, get cold. And you also said that he would have to sleep again before the finish. So you said if he doesn't yeah. sleep here at Walnut Canyon, he would have to sleep yes. on top of Eldon. And I was like, well, no. I mean, there's, it, I mean, I don't know what Eldon looks like or what their and, facilities and I, are. And, but and, yeah. So Mount Eldon is a 9,000-foot peak. It's mm -hmm. the last climb that you go over for you guys listening. So, it get yeah, that's why it gets so cold up there is because it climbs up to 9,000 feet. Yeah. 
And let me tell you, that was absolutely true <clears throat> because you needed some sleep anyway at Walnut. Yeah. yeah. That was clear to me. And I was just like, if you're going to take some, go ahead and take it enough to get you to the finish from here. Yeah. Because if you don't sleep here, there is no way you ain't going to be walking up Eldon doing that wonky crap again. Well, and you had 10 miles till you got down, roughly, right? Till yeah, you started the climb. Yeah, 10 mile lead up till yeah. you start to climb. Uh, yeah, and that was like, and then up that. So Walnut Canyon's mile 228 and a half. Yeah. So we talked, and basically we decided that, uh, just like you said, that we need to do everything we can for you to finish. It's not like you're in the running to win at this point. And so we said, you know, if you if you have to sleep, and you, then I came back over there and you told me I can't sustain the pace that I was just moving at. I can't move that fast for the remainder of the course. And so with that information, we just said, well, fine, then we'll just stay here through the night like we planned. You'll just be here a little longer than we planned. And so you got in there around 5 or 5.30, something like that, and then... And then we, uh, or you slept until, well, woke up intermittently, right? I mean, you woke up every roughly three hours to hydrate and. Yeah, you can't really, when, when you try, when you, when you try to take a, a sleep and you're in that, your body is that dysregulated, you can't like sleep through a night. Mm -hmm. Like e even the, the week after we finished this thing. I, I have just within the last couple of days been got to the point that I can sleep through a night because your body's so dysregulated. For some reason, I don't know what's happening, but when you try to lay down and sleep, I don't know if your body starts working really hard to repair itself, but you wake up in a puddle of sweat every couple hours. Um, and I did that for a whole week after the race. And... It, yeah, you're running a fever. Yeah. You're running a fever at night, and so this was my this was my thought process behind that whole decision. And by the way, I don't like the decision. I didn't like the decision when it was made. There was nothing about the decision that that I. Well, I liked. don't either. You mean? But it was ultimately the smart decision for me to finish the race so that this is the the rub is in some scenarios in some scenarios you'll find yourself in if you if you want to push yourself really really hard there's going to be a decision like this where there's a rub between we can probably do this and the other decision is going to be the smart decision, and that's going to mean stacking everything that you possibly can in your favor to accomplish whatever the mission is. Um, so that was the rub. The smart decision was to do what we did, and the reason is on that last section with Chile, you, when you do these things, not only does your can your body not regulate its temperature like it normally can? Um, your, at least my, when, especially when I get in cold, my respiratory system starts to become irritated. I'll start coughing and wheezing, all this stuff, right? 
And then this last section with chili, also my heart was starting to hurt. And I think your heart takes a lot of damage on, on these efforts. But I wasn't going to tell nobody about that because I didn't want to freak nobody out. But I knew I was paying attention to that. It would intermittently, uh, I would get these kind of chest pains. Well, I don't know did, what's happening with that. Well, you did tell me that. Did I tell you that? Well, yeah. I don't think you waited till after to tell me because I know about that. I think I waited till after to tell you about that, though. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did, yeah. And so all this all this compiled, and I'm and I'm to the point where I'm a, I'm a leaky vessel, and I'm thinking, you know what? I would really, I, I really, really want to be able to finish this thing. Like I don't want I don't want some little thing to happen this close to the finish line that would pre- prevent me from crossing the finish line. And well, you so, could have went if you wanted to. I mean, yeah, exactly. Nothing was so. This this was this was the rub. If you go, you're just you're just taking upon yourself this risk that whatever this heart thing that I got going on is, maybe it will become, maybe it will get worse. I I don't know. I don't even know what's going on. Um, maybe you become mildly hypothermic up there, which is extremely dangerous. This is all a maybe, right? Because you can't move fast enough to generate body heat and your body's all dysregulated. Maybe because you're going up to altitude, maybe that, and you're in freezing, sub-freezing temperatures, maybe your breathing becomes more dysregulated than it is. These are all maybes, all right? So you would have to assume that risk. Now, any one of those little things at this point could have prevented me, even though being this close to the finish line could have prevented me from crossing the finish line. See, at this point, I'm learning new things about my body because I've never been this far before. So this is all a learning process for me. I'm monitoring these things, but I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know I don't know where they're going to go if I continue to push. So ultimately, as a team, we I know we made the smart decision in terms of stacking everything in our odds to finish the race, to sit there through the night, at least through most of the night and get up and make that summit after sunrise when the temperatures are the temperatures go up the wind goes down and we're able to move through that environment at a pace that we can keep ourselves warm and safe and we're not stuck up there in that environment for hours and hours not able to stay warm so we wake up at we bed down there sleep kind of get up a few times at night move around make sure nothing's seizing up in my body that was one thing you guys were worried about. Oh, yeah. Is what's going to seize up, and is he even going to be able to walk when he gets up, when we all get up at 4 a.m.? Yeah. We got up, right? Yeah. I mean, that. like I said, you could have went up there. and But honestly, the, the thing is, is the way the race had gone and how poorly the sleep had been managed up to that point, that was really it. It wasn't even the conditions up there. You just needed sleep to finish, like significant sleep to finish. Yeah, because you still got, what, like 20, what was it yeah. left to finish? Twenty. Yeah, we still had 20. Oh, we had banked a ton of time. We still had 22 miles yeah. to and go. You know, you think 
22 miles, you think, oh, man, you're right there at the end. Oh, no. But 22 miles is 22 miles. I mean, that's a long ways to Hours go. and hours and hours in this race. I mean, yeah. no, that was just, you needed to sleep. I mean, and at that point, like I said, just how it had all gone and what I, I was just like, ah, just, I mean, dude, you got to, you're going to sleep here anyway. And, you know, Blake just ultimately made the decision i mean the the like i said the early thought process too was that you know you would just it was going to time out to where it made more sense yeah yeah like it wasn't even going to sacrifice any time but that was the thing is like how much of a time sacrifice was it he needed so much sleep mm -hmm. i mean but then whatever you know you you had yeah yeah so but, we got up at 4 a.m. Yeah. We, we started, we get up, get ready. We're moving out. We got that 10 mile stretch kind of leading up to the climb. Yeah. Um, and relative to how we stopped moving the day before, we were moving better. Oh, yeah. That morning. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got up at four and we were trying to get out of there before five and you. You stirred really well, you know. Yeah, we got out before the time that we wanted to get out of there. Yeah. And yeah. Um, moved well through all that and started to climb up up Eldon just shortly after sunrise. Yeah, I mean, honestly, immediately upon you shuffling to the bathroom, as bad as it looked, I was like, that actually looks pretty good, you know, for, for getting up now. And then we left out of there and started um, running even. I mean, that was a that ten mile section lead up was some interesting trail, some beautiful stuff. Looked like a lot of elk would be in there, and just awesome. We went through all those gates, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just it was good. We passed people, and it was it was really good. I was it went it flew by to me. Yeah, it was crazy how fast. Like it seemed like no time, and it, it you know still took hours, but it was just no time. And then we get to the bottom there. Saw Steven again. He was he was hanging out around the bottom of, of that climb and said hey to him and, and started up it. And I didn't know what you were thinking about that climb, really. Like The climb, was, the, well, the climb wasn't that bad to me. Um, I, what, I love, what I loved about that final stretch is because, because we made the decision that we made the night before, I was actually able to enjoy it. That final stretch. Well, that I really appreciated that. That climb is awesome. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's steep, but it's it's just a good climb. You know, the top is. is I would have a much different opinion about that <sighs> climb if we would have left out a Walnut Canyon and yeah. did that at night. Yeah. Well, yeah. the top of it's pretty dang hard and kicks up even steeper, and then there's daggum thick snow up there. Yeah, big snow drifts that hadn't melted yet. I and mean, I daggum slipped three times. You know me, but uh, I, I kept thinking, man, if I'm slipping like this, I hope he can keep from slipping. And uh, of course, he did. But he, uh, I had my poles. Yeah, it's true. Well, I was trying to go too fast, but uh, no, that was. I mean, it was difficult. I mean, trying to, you know, those thirty-eight mile racers or whatever were kicking off soon too, and they were going over that almost right after us. And I mean, you trying to move fast over that, that'd be daggum slip like crazy but 
Yeah, the wind up there didn't disappoint either. No, it was pretty it was, good coming through that little gap right off of the summit where those towers were. Yeah, it was really blowing. But those we got to those towers, no problem though. I was yeah. I was a little surprised, but then after that, you got a little pissed that the aid station wasn't right there. We had to go downhill a little bit. Remember, I was tucked back in those trees. Yeah, yeah we had to go down, then back up, and then yeah. there it was. And uh, you saw that Toyota you liked, Pete's Meats. <laughs> was at that aid station. Yeah. We sat there a while. They had heaters in there. Talked to them. They were cool. And then... And then we ran. And then we got to run. Man. <laughs> Bet you were tickled about that, weren't you? Well, I thought this will go a lot faster if we run. And uh, we ran... That climb was just a... Or the descent was just a road. Just curving down the the mountain and it was pretty awesome I mean, until it wasn't a road well yeah if you ever run this race <sighs> and you're coming down off of mount eldon know that there's a point where the course veers off of the fire road that you're mindlessly running down to the left to the left into a big wash yeah yeah. And you may not be as fortunate as we were to where we go 50 yards past it and a big white truck comes out and says, hey, man, y'all pass that right there. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. I still think about that, and I'm like... Dude, there's no telling how far we would have went before we realized we missed that turn. Yeah, I'm not really thrilled that that happened, but, you know, I know they were like... Those guys that actually told us that were flagging the course. Were they? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but when we walked back up to where we missed, they were... They had flags in their hands. Okay. Like, we're going to flag that extra, you know. And I just kept thinking, all the people before us, how did they see this? I'm The only reason that that wouldn't have got that bad for us is because I stared at that dang GPS yeah. so much because I was afraid to do just that, that I would have caught it pretty dang quick. <laughs> Chad told me, he said, I don't know what Chili's doing, but the whole time he's pacing, he's just looking at his dang phone the whole time. I, hey, I don't know if he's te is he texting you or what's he doing. There was one section on the death march where I swear he didn't look up from that phone the entire time. I don't even think he knew where he was at, other than where he was on that screen. He was looking at Instagram. <laughs> no, I was looking at the GPS or texting Blake. That was the only break in that, and uh, I was just I'm I've never been like that. I absolutely hate having the daggum navigate in a race, I'd like to just run. And, well, I don't hate it. It's just like, you got to know what you're doing. Are you navigating or am I running? And like, I, with this, just because it was you too, I was especially concerned with not getting off course. So, I don't think it would have even been that bad. But, I don't like running with the dang phone at all, especially not looking at it and the GPS. But with this race, you just... I don't know. I felt like I had to. Yeah, it was smart to keep up with that for yeah, sure. Pacing you so, and and not that it wasn't marked well. I mean, it was marked well. The race was. Uh, this wasn't great, but there were a couple little trick tricky sections. Maybe three yeah. or four little sections that were tricky where you actually needed. Yeah, you, you wanted to be on that GPS for sure. But anyway, I mean, like I said, we would have corrected that soon anyway. I think, and we got on that, went down that wash. Into Buffalo Park. Yeah, just walking, walking, walking. And then, yep, Buffalo Park was cool. Could run there again. And, I mean, at this point, once you got through Buffalo Park, I mean, it's just a, 
I don't know, three miles to the finish. Yeah, right into Flagstaff. You're running some good downhills on yeah. on sidewalks. Yep, downhill running again, and then yep. Chili texted all of us, and he said, "Be looking for us on the live stream, twelve twenty, about twelve twenty, or at twelve twenty. And I thought, well, that's a pretty specific time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we was all sitting down there. Sure enough, as soon as the clock struck twelve twenty, they rounded the, <laughs> rounded the bend. Don't Old you. Chili knows that pace, man. That's oh, yeah. why he's $10,000 a month, son. Yep. yep. Chili will come pace you at a race. What's your What's your pacing fee uh, or something like this? My pacing fee? Yeah. <laughs> for a 250? Yeah, what's your pacing fee for a 250? Well, it, yeah. It, 250000 It's $1,000 a mile, isn't it? It's a, well, it's $100 a mile. Oh, 100. That's what I was going to tell you. If it's a 100-mile race. ten grand. That's not bad. It's definitely oh, worth it. Yeah. 250 mile race, 25 grand. That's definitely worth it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, but that's the whole thing. Yeah. Chili will keep you going, man. Y'all, if y'all getting ready to run a race like this, y'all need to hit Chili up for his pacing services. <laughs> that's not that bad. 10 grand, you get paced for a whole 100 mile race. Yep. That's pretty solid. Or a 100 mile section of a 250. Yeah. That, that's it's a good all point. a cart, right? You yep. just, yep. Yeah, Chili's got that pace on point. So we're around the the turn into that uh, alleyway. Yeah, what was that like? What was that last mile down Flagstaff Road just feeling like? I mean, what were you thinking about? Um, I was I was really thankful that I was able to enjoy it. I was really also really thankful that it wasn't at night. That it, and just not not because I don't like running in the night, but just because. Like, I knew when we got to the end, we were going to get to hang out and talk and, you know, we were going to get to get a bite to eat somewhere and, and, uh, I could just like look around me. I'd never been to Flagstaff before. I got to see and actually take in what was happening and, and really ex experience that, you know, and that was cool for me. Like, I really appreciated that. I was thankful for that. Um. And again, there's there's still a there's still a rub there for me because there's something to be said about continuing to push and just like going through that section and just being completely obliterated. Like that's just a different experience. It's two totally different experiences. You know what I mean? But uh, but I could I was at the point that I could appreciate the fact that I could actually enjoy it. Um. And then we crossed the finish line, and yeah, man, uh, that was, I mean, I'm, I'm not a really emotional guy or anything, but for me, there were little little pangs of emotion when I crossed the finish line. If you see my, uh, I just looked at my finish line photo from Howie the other day, and it looks like I, I uh, was smelling a bad fart, <laughs> and it's because my face is all scrunched up because, like, I'm a little bit emotional, like, Wow, that was a freaking adventure and a half, dude. Like that 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 was not that this this thing that we just did. Like hopefully next year like next year I would want to gear it more toward a race. This year it just became this massive adventure where we were all spending time together. We were getting to well, you guys, there's a lot of the stuff I didn't, I don't remember, and you know, <laughs> didn't get to see. But uh, that's what it became. So 
that was cool. That was really cool. And like, definitely these feelings of just emotion that, man, this is what, this is what we do. This is what we live for. Um, what, what, what an awesome memory that we'll never forget that we just created. And, um, to be honest with you, because I wasn't at this point because of that sleep the night before, because I was actually in a place where now was back in a place where I was taking it all in and enjoying it. When I crossed the finish line, like there was also this little bit of sadness in me that it was over. I mean, really, to be honest with you, I was like, dang, like this has been our reality for the last four and a half days. And it's so simple. That's, that's another thing I love about this adventure. And, and people ask me all the time, like, well, people ask me about races like the Barkley marathons and stuff and, and all these, you know, kind of crazy challenges that are out there that involve all these kind of uncontrollables and all these other skills and, you know, navigating and all this stuff, right? And that might appeal to some people. It doesn't appeal to me. Because I feel like the most beautiful thing about this adventure is it's a marked course, point to point, and your reality just can become so simple. Like there's no, it, it there's no skill, there's no skill involved. It's just you're just you just have to keep moving. You just have to keep. You just have to keep running when you can run and moving when you can move. And and I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I like that about this specific adventure that there wasn't all these other elements. Yeah, there, there are some complexities to, to keeping yourself moving just in terms of nutrition and hydration and things like that, right? But there were no other complexities to it. And, and part of that for me too, was the fact that I had such a great team. It allowed me to really, it allowed me to be really simple in my mind because I didn't have to worry about anything. Like I didn't have to think about anything. And I really like getting into that, that state because our lives, our day-to-day lives are so complex. It's, it's such a release to spend multiple days in this just really primal, simplistic existence, even though it's filled with pain and struggle and highs and lows and all this stuff that might sound complex, the actual activity of it is beautiful. It's just beautiful. And that, to me, was part of the reason why at the end there was this sadness in me that it was over um, because like, man, like now I got to turn my freaking cell phone on and like now I got to go back home and not that I don't love my life back home and not that I don't love the work that we do. I love all of that stuff. It's just, uh, it's such a, it's so good. It feels so good to just disconnect from all of it especially when you're talking about that amount of time and i think that's why also things like the 
through hiking the Appalachian Trail and stuff appeal to me so much. It's the simplistic nature of the the movement and the adventure. Um, and the longer you stay in that, uh, the harder it is to come out of it. Um, but yeah, it felt, I, it did feel, I, I felt accomplished when I crossed the finish line, like in spite of the ugliness of it, like I'm really hungry now to go back and to master this distance. But at the same time, when I crossed the finish line, I felt accomplished for what I did being the first time I had ever done something like that. If that makes sense. There was this immediate feeling of, wow, I just extended myself beyond the capability or beyond my past experience. I extended myself way beyond that. So I had that accomplishment, but then like just two days later, maybe that sense of accomplishment is still there, but now there's this, I'm intrigued by this distance now, if that makes sense. Like I, I'm almost a little bit obsessed with actually now mastering it and I'm glad I'm happy about that. Like I'm happy this race was so ugly. <laughs> that really makes me happy because if we would have went there and we would have done it and we would have done well and you know, regardless it's going to be hard, but if it, if we would have done well and, and got through it and been satisfied with it, well, that would kind of be, there, there would be no, this this uh, obsession with it right maybe maybe i would say yeah i'll go i want to go back and run some more 200s because it was fun but now there's this thing that's like holy crap that was freaking rough and it ate my lunch i mean it a it just it just uh, just mashed me up and chewed me up and spit me out okay i'm really intrigued here how can I actually master this new kind of distance or challenge, right? And by mastering it, I mean, how can I go and show up next year and run well? Like, you you can talk to a guy like Mike McKnight. He said, I, I've, he told me at the end of the race, he said, I've ran 10 200-mile races. He said, I'm still learning stuff, right? So, when I say I'm intrigued by this distance and I want to master it, I don't mean that I'm going to go back next year and do everything perfectly. I could keep doing these 200 milers for the next five years and still be learning things, tweaking things, making things better. Mastering it to me in the, in the context that I'm talking about it right now is going back next year and actually running it with some style, right? <laughs> running it with some style. Because there, the, the, it got to the point that there was no style. It wasn't in very this. stylish this no, year. No, it wasn't, wasn't very it? stylish. So I lost that swagger in uh, Munns Park. <laughs> so I'm I'm thankful for that, man, because it, I'm like I say I'm a little I'm I'm a little in my mind obsessed with it. Well, there, how are, how are you going to change it? There hasn't year? been a single day that's went by that I haven't thought. Okay, what are we going to do 
what are we going to do to to do better at this, right? To actually become Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um the first and foremost thing, if you guys haven't already caught on to it, is we got we got to do something with the dang feet, man. And I, I've thought about this. I think there are a lot of I think there are a lot of elements that went into my feet getting as bad as they were. I think maybe the first one it just has to do simply with foot conditioning. A lot of the trails that I run around here, obviously, like I said, I can't find trail here like I was running on out there surface-wise. But I can seek out the rockiest trails that I can possibly find here in North Georgia, and I can spend more time on those trails in order to condition my feet better uh, for next year, right? So I think a part of that's foot conditioning. So you can be more specific. Be more specific, that's right. Um, I think also with the feet, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to play around with uh, – with some different shoes and socks. Um, so you guys know that I've ran for years in the, the Hoka Speed Goats, and this, that shoe doesn't have any sort of rock plate in it. It doesn't have any sort of hard layer in it that protects your foot from the ground. It does have a big, thick sole, but that sole was not thick enough to, to really mitigate the impact of these rocks on this trail. So I'm going to play around with a different shoe. Um, I'm also going to play around with a different sock. I've, I mean, the, the thing is, a lot of the things that I have done in the environment that we live in here on the East Coast, I realized, well, the same things that work here m m won't necessarily work out there. And so I've always worn a really thin sock. I've always worn the Exoskin sock, which is a super, super thin sock. Um, and it's worked fine out here. But I'm gonna start playing around with using a different, uh, little maybe a little thicker sock. I'm gonna play around with a couple different uh, pairs, and um, so shoes, socks, and then specifically conditioning the feet. Maybe even walking around barefoot a little more. You know what I mean? Um, so that's a big one. I think I also I uh, I need to dial in my hydration and have that a little more specific because I think here's what happened. When my feet swelled up the way they, they got swollen, I think that contributed a lot to the, the actual injuries that we had to the feet. The swelling contributed to that. I think the part of the, the swelling in my feet was due to my body retaining too much water. I think what happened in that first 37-mile section, I got behind on hydration simply because there was, not, there was not enough resupply of water. There was a resupply, but you could, it was so hot and you were sweating so much. I guess I could have carried more water. I carried four freaking liters and topped up again halfway through, but I got a little behind there. And then once I left out of Crown King, I started hammering water. The sun went down. It cooled off. I started sweating less. 
but I was still just hammering water, trying to catch back up. I think I actually got, I think I actually took in too much water and sodium at some point afterward because of the efforts to try to catch up. And I'm, I think that that contributed my hands at one point became like sausages. You remember that chili? Well, my hands not really, but you remember me telling you about avoiding that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't even remember when that happened to you, but yeah, it was before we took the first sleep. My hands had got to the point where I like was having trouble manipulating zippers and stuff on my vest because my hands were so swollen. So, my body was retaining all this water, and I think it's because I was just so hard on it, just trying, just continuously trying to catch up from that first section. So, I want to have, I want to have an eye, a better idea of how many liters of water I need to be drinking to replace the sweat volume in a given temperature. So, in the heat of the day. And then at night, your 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 my hydration volume should be more specific. I should have a little better plan, a little better idea of how many liters per hour I need to be drinking at night when it's 50 degrees versus how many liters of water I need to be drinking throughout the day when it's 95 degrees. And I want to try to balance that out a little better to try to prevent some of that swelling in my hands and feet. So that's one thing I would like to dial in a little bit. Um, One thing I didn't use strategically at all is caffeine. I I want to utilize caffeine better than I did during this race. Like I, I I took a little caffeine here and there when I was just at a point where I was completely out of it. But I think that need that needs to be utilized more and a little earlier on. Uh, so utilizing caffeine as a tool, um, and then as far as training goes, a huge part obviously is going to be training differently. If you guys don't know, I only trained eight weeks for this race. I mean, we put in an eight week training block and went and ran this race. So. Now I have an entire year to train specifically for this race. And um, I think all of my training and my running over the course of this next year is going to be geared toward going back to Cocodana. And uh, I think that's just going to make a huge, huge difference. Um, and, of course, Chile will coach me through that Nope. as long as I can continue to afford his coaching services. Well, he's coaching Blake right now. Well, Blake still so, listens to me. Um, <laughs> Chili will coach me through that, and, and he's going to be the perfect coach for that now because he's ran like over 90 miles of the course. So he knows what's out there. He knows the, you know, over half of what I'm going to, I mean, he, he knows the majority of what I'm going to see out there. So, um, I think that's going to be a huge advantage too, is is just having more than eight weeks to specifically train for this race. Chili's all about specificity, so. Well, specificity was earlier 
this is moving into consistency. That's the pillars of my training, consistency and specificity. You lack, well, you talked earlier about how you lack this specificity, and this is how you, eight weeks is lacking the consistency. Yep. Anybody can train for a few weeks. You got to, it's a long, sustained effort, man, of, and, and by the way, all those things you just talked about, figuring out hydration and conditioning your feet, all of that is accomplished through actually training hard for months and months and months. Yep. I mean, you you want to get some more specific on the feet and do whatever, but like, if you law if you putting in enough miles on hard terrain, oh, they're conditioned. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Trust me, they get conditioned on this crap out here. You don't think North Georgia, Tennessee technical trails can condition your feet for out there? You just ain't running on it enough. Trust me, it can. So. I mean, that's just accomplished through being consistent and actually putting in serious, legitimate effort if your goal is to actually win. You have to, you know, your training has to be commensurate with the goal that you have. Yeah. So. Yep. And then, obviously, another thing that I want to do next year is uh, is, ha- is have a, a, a better, and I think we will have a better loose plan for our sleep strategy and not dig ourselves in such a hole on that. Um, And aside from all that, it's taking taking everything that we learned this year and not forgetting about it and taking all, all, all the little, you know, the knowledge of all the different sections. Uh, the fact that now I can wrap my mind around this thing because I actually finished it um that's a huge advantage uh and taking all the things that we learned and going into next year and and implementing the change that we the changes that we know we should make on top of becoming better conditioned and more specific about the ways that i take care of myself uh while i'm out there so also getting in and out of aid stations could be something. That's a huge one, yeah. Something that's that a, I think that's a, a big lesson learned. Yeah, for sure. That, and I, that and has to do with your fitness too. A hundred percent, it does. A hundred percent, it has to do with your fitness. Yeah, when you're feeling good, you don't want to stay in an aid no. station. Yeah. Oh, when you're cold and you're laying in there covered up and you warm. I mean, you're going to burn 10 minutes trying to find something to do at every, if not more, mm-hmm. at every aid station, just prolonging, trying to retain that warmth, you know? Yeah. And then it takes 20 minutes just to start moving again when you get out of the dang thing. Yep. Yeah. So that's going to be huge. So what a dang adventure, man. That was a lot of fun. It was an adventure. I mean, dang, if it wasn't that. Good grief, man. We saw all of Arizona. Yeah. I mean... Between the course that you did, following you, and then just going off on all these spurs. I mean, it's its definitely a tour of Arizona. The real Arizona, too. <laughs> yeah. We saw the tourist Arizona and the real Arizona. Yep. Me and you did. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's the Wild West. Yeah. So my so my intent my intent as a as a runner is um is to to do Lord willing, do Cocodana again next year. I'm gonna sprinkle in a couple hundred mile races uh, over the course of the next year, and just I just want to 
focus on honing everything in during those, obviously consistently training and staying healthy. And um, that's my intent as a runner coming up. And I know, Blake, Blake, what the crap? Why did you start running after this, man? Well, because Blake's all of a sudden all fired up. He's actually gonna he's actually gonna go run him a hundred mile race, his first hundred mile race. So, well, Lord willing, what I'm in the will. world, man? Yeah, what I, I'm trying to figure out. You just <laughs> I mean, saw this horrific, this the, this horrifying event, and that made you want to run. What yeah. the crap happened, man? Yeah, I mean, I I don't you know people can say well I don't you know let other people's actions or whatever influence me or but i mean that's really i don't think that's true for anybody maybe it is but well that's a dig at me and brooke isn't it uh well brooke said that but i don't hadn't heard you say it but maybe that's true but well, i said it too i don't i mean but you've ran a lot i don't to me i don't know how you can go be around stuff like that and then not be um you know not feel the prompting to want to go partake in something yourself like you know challenge yourself to do i've been talking on and off for a long time about doing 100 mile but i've never just i've never thought well now's the time i'm gonna do it but to go out there i think you know and to see that something like that is uh is capable like you you hear people doing these things but you don't actually see them do it but to go out there and actually see people doing it see how it works um and then just being a part of it makes you want to go, made me want to go do something like that for myself. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a huge runner and don't really like running that much at all, but it's something good. It's a good, it's a good, uh, environment or a good activity to challenge yourself in. I mean, I don't run because I like to run. I just run because of what you can get out of it. And so I've done a couple, couple 50 milers and, yep. uh, you know, I mean, didn't really do that well at them, but I finished them. And so I think it may be time to do something else. I mean, and another part of it is just doing, you know, putting yourself through what you challenge other people to do because I don't really want to go do it. And, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I could even finish it. But, I I mean, I think I could, but who knows. So I think it's good for me to go do it to be – uh be who we teach other people to be. Yeah, it's interesting to me that viewing what you just viewed would inspire you to go and do a 100-mile race because, whew. You helped inspiring, man. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's not even a comparison. I know it I know it's, uh, will be grueling, but it's not it, a 100-miler to a 250-miler. I've never done either one, but I have to think they're not really comparable too much but they are different but your first hundred miler is what will be what you will learn some good new things about yourself it's all about how hard you run them yeah so chili i'm interested what are your what what were your big takeaways from this man i mean and not necessarily about like running 250 miles or, or whatever but i mean what were your big takeaways from this adventure that we had Well, you asked that in a way that you, I think you're expecting me to say something a little bit different than I'm going to say, but I mean, no, I just, that was, that was a awesome time, man. I mean, I've always wanted to go out to Arizona and, 
so that part of it was super cool for me seeing so much of the state like i said it was a tour of it saw the grand canyon and all those cool spots crown king and and then i mean just me personally looking at it that way it was very interesting you know i've never paced before but uh that was pretty that was pretty interesting to do that for the first time Mm -hmm. and you know because i don't like pacers and I don't want pacers for the stuff I do, just for a variety of reasons. And it's not like I think I you can do – it's not – I mean, maybe it is something in me that thinks I can do everything alone, but I don't think I can do 100 miles or anything alone. It's like you definitely need help with everything that you do. I mean, my dad's helped me with every race I've ever done, but, like, I don't know. Pacing has just always been weird to me, but it was cool for me to pace you and – uh just try to get just try to help you in any way I could out there, you know, especially at times I think you you probably needed it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You know, between whoever was pacing you, all five of us that did at least a few miles um no, it was cool for me to it was cool for me to pace you and uh just be out there a part of that race, you know, cuz I don't I don't have a desire really to do that race, but, but it's such a cool event and such a cool thing that I was, it was cool to be, you know, I saw a good bit of the course and, uh, that was really cool for me to, um, be a part of an event that was, that's like I said before, I think the era Viper team, you know, with Jamil and Steve, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they just do such a good job. <laughs> yeah, man. they're first class. Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely to be uh, the standard for, old, you know, doing p- putting on an ultra in in the in the country. I mean, I don't I don't think there's any dispute about that. So, super well, cool to see that. You know, another thing too really is that I mean, just for me, I I would really rather just you know, I guess you say serve somebody else, help somebody else accomplish what they want to do, and um, that's just fulfilling for me to do it. I don't really care to go do much of much things like that, but in order to be better at that, you have to partake in the activities to somewhat yourself. So yeah. that, that's kind of another reason that I want to go do one, and not even that I could crew a race better. I mean, I, I could if I did a 100-mile race. I would know more about certain things, but – um, just even, you know, the thoughts you have, the things you work through, nutrition, all of that kind of stuff as it relates to different environments, you're able to serve people better because you've put yourself in that situation. So I don't I don't mean I don't really care a lot about doing it for myself to say I did 100 miles or to say that I proved to myself that I can do it. But, yeah. you know, to boil it down, the biggest reason I guess that I would want to do it is because – I think I could serve people better having yeah. been in that spot. I think oh, I'm the of the reason. I think there's there's maybe five roles that you could. I mean, you could probably break it down even smaller than this, but five roles that you could play in a race. There's racer, volunteer, crew, pacer, and race director. And that's to me boiling it down pretty good. I mean, you could say, oh, there's a sweep, and there's someone who does this, but I mean, for the most part, that's the five roles, and for me, it was cool because I have, um, 
I mean, all three of us have essentially been race directors. I mean, we've put on yeah. two races or one really. Brooke really did the second one, but you know, we uh I've obviously raced plenty. I've crewed, I paced for the first time. So with for me that I think if you're going to do any of the five, you should probably do all of them. Yeah. Maybe not race direct. I mean, not everybody has to race direct, but at least the other four. If you're going to do one, you should do them all. Yeah. Because if you're if you've paced and crewed but you've never raced, it would help you do that better. If you've raced and you've never crewed or volunteered, like you should do that and yeah. and not just cons- it's like being just a consumer, you know, if you just race all the time. Right. Cuz I've never really volunteered. I mean, you could split hairs and say I have a few times, but like I've I need to really that's what I'm missing. You know, really just go at several races, you know, work an aid station or do yeah. like do a serious role because uh, I think all of those are very important, especially the the first four I said, like that's really the whole experience. It gives you a perspective that you don't have if you just do one or two of them and it lets you understand the scope of what an ultra is. Well, yeah, it makes you more well-rounded even within an ultra and, and then outside of an ultra. Yeah. I mean, volunteering is volunteering regardless. Yep. Running the race is, is running a race regardless. Pacing along, you know, they can all be related to everyday life. And that that's the thing that I really care about. I don't, like I say, running and stuff, whatever, I can have it or leave it. But yeah. life is the reason, and these things are just stuff that we do to be better at life and to help other people. So, Yeah, so that's how I like to break them down. So I think you should do all of those. And that's talking to myself, too, because I've definitely not volunteered enough. I mean, you should probably volunteer for every race that you run, quite honestly. So I've got a lot of catching up to do. How if, many have you ran? Well, I don't know, but quite a lot. So I'd have to spend years catching up to reach that standard. So, but anyway, I think it's really important because if you want to run these races, if you like these races, especially races that are super well run, like Aravipa, that race probably took dozens or hundreds of volunteers. I don't even know. Yeah. So more, probably more than there were racers. So just think about that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a collective effort to put those things on, especially that one. Holy smokes. Yeah. Well, all right. I guess that's about all there is to be said about the Cocodana race. And like I said, uh, Drake with Macadamic Media. Macadamic. Macadamic Media. He's hung on Macadamia nuts. Yeah. yeah. Our boy Drake, He he's, he's toiling – around the clock to get this uh, documentary put out for you guys so you guys will all get to see that. We'll keep you in the loop about when that's ready to, to rock and roll and you'll get to laugh at me and see me at some of my lowest points. And, hey, man, it's all good. That's that's the reason That's the reason I do these things, man. This is, is to be able to share and, and to have memories and, um, and to hopefully encourage – some of you guys to get out and do something new and outside of the realm of your experience and learn new things about yourself and just kind of renew your um, your connection with life and and who you are and uh, I think it's I, I hope it's really impactful. So we may do some special things around the premiere of that documentary. Uh, haven't nothing set in stone, but we'll keep you in the loop. But that's all I got.
That was a long podcast. People's asking about questions. I'm going to make the executive decision to just write your question down. All right. Next week, we'll take your questions about this week's episode because old Blake, he done. Old Blake said about an hour ago. I was, I was over this episode. I was going to say, this Blake's is way long his ago. ultra uh, episode limit. So, rent collector. We'll get you question next Was there week, any uh, super chats, though, to read? We had one. Okay. One guy, uh, I made a note of his name here. Uh, Ricardo Carmona gave five bucks. So Thank you, Ricardo. Ricardo. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, appreciate that, man. There yeah. was many questions and comments. I want to know if you had gotten rabdo or anything oh, like that. But, you know, we'll, so, we'll get them later. No, on account of rabdo is not real. You yeah. daggum weenies. So, all you guys that have questions, all you guys that have all these uh, questions that we haven't answered specific questions about this, I, wh- what I want to do, and nothing is guaranteed yet, but when this documentary is done, uh-huh. I want to have a live premiere where we can all meet up and watch this thing together in person for the first time. And then sit down and have a Q and A with all you guys and have a conversation about uh, what you actually see. Because when you see all of this in this documentary, it's gonna it's gonna be much more impactful to you. So that's what I want to do. So if you have a really good question, just hold on to it. <laughs> you might you might have a chance to we might have a chance to talk to each other about it in the near future. So we'll pray for that. Y'all want that to happen. Let's pray that it happens. All right. That's all we got for today. Freaking two hour and 40 minute long podcast. Good gracious, son. Man. All right. Enough said. (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) He's over it.